Hey, welcome to Jay's podcast. I think I'm going to call this uh, Jay Flaunts His Ignorance. And the idea is that I'm going to run around and talk to all kinds of interesting people about whatever it is that they're excited about and uh, learn stuff. So let's get to it. Crazy. Yeah, it's it, you know it's tough to even. So know. I, I think I've got the settings on this right, but well, are also yeah, I'll I'll say some stuff. <laughs> the idea. Yeah, test test test. <laughs> Hello. I think the idea is that Testicle. it's supposed to be sort of close to the one, but not clipping on the one because that would be. Well, bad. it looks like it's clipping a little bit here. Yeah, but in general, I think this looks like a pretty decent volume, and then we can adjust the gain or whatever if we need to. You should you should play it back and let's listen to it. I'm curious. Okay, hold on. So do you have like an introduction that you do or I don't. I don't have an <laughs> I have no structure at all. <laughs> Thank this you so much for being my uh, guinea pig on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate it. So yeah, this is my f- fancy new blue microphone which I I've like heard it. is like the the coolest uh, podcasting microphone. So uh hopefully we're recording this. Well, let me uh, let me start by I think you are but I'm afraid that when you get to the end of the solo it's going to stop because that area is highlighted. Yeah, we'll I think see. solo is the no, uh, it keeps recording even though you have a region highlighted. Well, no, I'm sorry. That was solo, but you had a region highlighted, so I was worried it would only record for the section you had highlighted. So you think it's recording down here now? It is. It is. See what an expert I am in my my own uh, technology here. You know, I've used a little bit of Audacity before. But oh, have you? Yeah, just just enough to be dangerous. I actually um, I used to uh, do acapella stuff, and so when I would try to figure out arrangements, I would I was one of those weirdos who would sing all the different parts, and so I used <laughs> Audacity to help me. <laughs> Hear what it would sound like coming together. So then, so then you arrange them vertically, and you, yeah, you, yeah, you align all the, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So should I be worried that this is flashing since you're an Audacity expert and there's a line flashing um, here on the screen? I, I don't think bit? so. As long as the blue part is moving <laughs> over, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, and hopefully this is storing two discs. Wouldn't that be horrible? <laughs> this great, like, you know, two and a half hour conversation, <laughs> and it's not recorded. So I listen to way too many podcasts. Okay. Know, and uh, the the ones that. Uh, just make you feel terrible are when they start and they're like, oh, we just lost 45 minutes of content, so now we're going to start over and try to restate everything that we thought was funny in the like, first Man, <laughs> like, I missed out classic. on the, the raw. <laughs> yeah, the, the gold, raw gold bits. So, uh, yeah, so I wrote down uh, just a little in- introduction that yeah. may or may not be accurate, and you can, this uh, is no, just I, I th- straight I from Wikipedia. I was going to say, I think your definition is accurate. Um, I would want to expand on it, which I can do that. Yeah. Um, so wh- why don't we start with the definition? The, the very. Wh- why don't we inter- introduce ourselves? Hi. Since I, <clears throat> I, I haven't ever uh, had an episode before. Uh, why don't we? In- you introduce yourself, and then I'll introduce myself, and then we'll start talking about this. Uh, this Sounds topic. good. Uh, hi, my name is Alec. Uh, Alec Larson. Um, I am an anarcho-capitalist, which is what I'll be talking about here today, but uh, I'm so much more than that. I'm so much more <laughs> than an anarcho-capitalist. I'm also a, uh, a developer at a local company called Agape Red, although my views <laughs> my views are not of the company. Um, I, I sing. I don't dance, though, which is unfortunate. You do acapella singing? I do. I do a little bit yeah. of acapella singing, although our group broke up. So oh, no. I don't do any acapella singing right now, but maybe soon, maybe soon if I find some more time. In Omaha, Outside though? of work. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we had a small group. I guess it's already been a year since we broke up. Shortly, uh, I'm, I'm two years out of high school now. So shortly after high school, we kind of stayed together. We sang on a street corner a couple of times downtown. So Really? It's a really legit so thing. The, so like the old market and you'd... You'd just have, stand there and sing. Yeah, yeah. It Would was, people um, tip like in a hat or something? No, we didn't Nothing? do the tip oh. thing. No, <laughs> okay. no, no. We had we had one arrangement. It was like uh, 
um, not to toot my own horn, but I, I put together our one arrangement and yeah. it was, it was a combination of a few different pop songs and we just kind of, we did the, you know, the pitch perfect thing, although this was slightly before pitch perfect. So it was slightly more original. Um, yeah, we just, we just did one song leads into the other one and it was, you know, all the pop songs have the same chord, uh, progression underneath them. So we did the one, five, six, four special. I don't. I don't know what that is. One five it's six like four is one five six four. Oh, I don't know. It's just those are the tonic notes. <laughs> I'd help you demonstrate, uh, but I have no idea what you're I, talking about. Well, it's impossible to do it alone. It's like, it's like I, I don't know. Like I'm your biggest fan, and I'll follow you until you love me. Don't stop believing. <laughs> like nice. believe it or not, if you were to put those two songs right there, they would line up with the chords in the background. I mean, it's just one easy example. And I had no idea I was going to yeah. be vocal talent for this podcast. I, this is I know. Fantastic. Well, you have to really test your your microphone yeah <laughs> um no it's funny I, I actually i don't consider myself uh, a good singer i don't have a lot of vocal talent i just uh I, I like you know what i mean i like music a lot and obviously i like acapella arrangements and unfortunately the only instrument i have to work with is this one that's in my body so i, yeah. I do what i can to kind of throw things together <laughs> yeah yeah no that's fantastic yeah so, um so back so introducing the topic yeah of so anarcho-capitalism the, the way that i discovered um your vast knowledge of this uh i i just my mind was blown the day that i was at a uh a user group meeting and i heard from you about um this uh this political system if it's called i don't know if it, it, you yeah can call or, it lack or, or lack of political yeah. <laughs> uh, i actually i usually call it a, a, so, a socioeconomic organization yeah yeah organizational system so in college system. i i majored in lots of different things in college and i uh the last thing that i dropped out of was a philosophy degree um, yeah, so I was never into political science, but I had never heard anyone as eloquent as you describe uh, any kind of uh, anarchy system at all. And I was just amazed that you could, that not only are you a talented programmer and acapellist, um, but that you are so savvy in, in terms of these political systems. And I was just really interested to hear more from you about uh, about that. So we, we uh, first talked last fall, I think it was, at the user group meeting. Yeah. And so if we just start at the beginning, maybe, yeah, of what anarcho-capitalism is, and I'll just, I'll just be quiet, and then I'll ask lots of stupid questions, and that's probably the... Uh, that's probably the, the podcast. That's maybe probably just, the podcast. Yeah, and then at some point you'll be like, okay, we've been talking for too long, time to <laughs> when you, wrap this up. When you don't want to talk to me anymore. Yeah, that's I, when I, the podcast ends. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, should probably, I should probably start with a disclaimer and just say that I am not an expert on this at all. I am, uh, you know, I'm one of many... Um, well, not that many. This isn't a super popular idea, but there's uh, there's there's definitely people who have put a lot more thought into this than I. Um, I, I suppose I, I should start right off the bat by referring to uh, my idol, David Friedman is his name. He's the son of Milton Friedman, who's a fairly well-known Chicagoan economist. Uh, he's also a Chicagoan economist, which is a, like a branch of economic theory, the Chicagans, not to be confused with the Austrians or the Keynesians or neoclassical. So I do uh, listen to a podcast on NPR called Planet Money, uh-huh. and so they go into Keynesian, Keynesian, Keynesian oh, yeah, absolutely. economics, and yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm vaguely familiar in a yeah. very... Well, uh, yeah, John Maynard Keynes. Of yeah. course, that's that's uh, the, the form of economics that influences a lot of our um, current Political economic discussion. policy, right? Yeah. And I, you know... We're getting into libertarian ideas, so before we go too far into it, I want to point out that, <laughs> that I, I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of some of the principles put forward in uh, Keynesian economics. If I can even claim to not be a fan, because I'm not, I'm not an economist by trade. 
Uh, so, I understand very little. Uh, so just to restate, yeah. so Keynesian economics, is that the one where the government does intervene all the time and throw money into the system or does yeah. not? So, so, so my understanding, I'm going to really quickly try to yeah. sum up Keynesian economics, and I'm sure that there will be somebody who's listening who's going to go, oh, my God, this ignorant asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so but, excited that you think I'll have listeners. This is yeah, great. I know. I know. Gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm being presumptuous in my explanation and in the nature of the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So, um, so the basic principle of Keynesian economics, or at least the thing that John Maynard Keynes is credited in discovering is he sort of refuted the idea of Say's Law. So Say's Law is the idea that um, supply brings about its own demand, that people come to the marketplace um, because they're already able to provide themselves for themselves, uh, at least in principle somehow. Uh, and so they come to the marketplace with skills to offer because they want to get something else from the market. So supply precedes demand. It's, it's sometimes called supply-side economics. Um, Keynes thought, actually, no, it's the other way around. Demand precedes supply. And so as a result, um, he, he theorized um, uh, on the macroeconomic level that uh, the, the goal of the, the government should be to keep aggregate demand um, up. Uh, and, and so he advocated that uh, in times of a recession, right, when economic uh, productivity is going down, that the government should spend more money. And actually, it doesn't really matter on what the government spends money as long as there's spending going on um, to, to keep people's general confidence in the economy up so that hopefully you can move out of the recession as quickly as possible. That being said, it would make sense to spend money on things like infrastructure that would you know, be of benefit at some time in the future. But the general theory, uh, the, the principle that he brings forward is actually it does make sense to have a state act and that state actor should probably spend in times of recession. So to frame it maybe in terms of the current political Democrat versus Republican mm -hmm. pitch, what you always hear is that Republicans want to lower taxes because by lowering taxes and having less government, you're actually uh, moving the economy forward because you're stimulating all of the job creators to go out and spend their capital mm -hmm. and start businesses and get the ball rolling, et cetera. Right. And then the Democrats are always – uh, accused, at least, of being tax-and-spend liberals who want to raise tons of tax money and then spend all that money. And are they are they both uh, accused yeah. of yeah. trying to uh, prod the economy mm -hmm. forward by or so? So neo, you're, you're going to love this. I have all these stupid anarchist words. So neoliberals and neoconservatives, um, I don't consider to be that much different when it comes to economic policy, at least in the United States. Although they they do differ on the degree to which they wish to tax or the degree to which they wish the degree to which they wish to spend in different social programs as far as i know both parties generally advocate maybe with the exception of like ron paul on the republican side cuz he's much more libertarian uh for government spending at a, a deficit um, in, in addition, so not only having debt, but actually spending at a deficit in times of economic recession in order to stimulate the economy. Are both political parties considered neo-libertarian or le yes. neo yeah. sorry, not libertarian? So, so I'm, I'm classically misspoke. liberal, right? Uh -huh. uh, classically liberal, right? Which is which now we call libertarian because classically liberal, Adam Smith liberal, Goldwater conservative. That whole branch of thought is is pretty much gone from mainstream political discourse at this point. Um, I don't, I don't really even know what, the funny thing about the word conservative is, is it's hard to know what classical conservative would even mean, what, so it was, it was what people thought a while ago, back a while ago. The word conservative oh, yeah. has proven to not be a, <laughs> when it comes to identifying political ideologies, it hasn't been all that helpful. Yeah, if you're retaining the status quo, the status quo changes over time, and so what is that? I don't yeah, know yeah, what that I mean, means. watch, the conservative party in 50 years will be going, we need to keep gay marriage, right? Right, right. <laughs> and not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh. not open it up to dogs. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, where the discourse will be in 50 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the so both of these schools of thought, as far as uh, let's see, so how do we get this back to anarcho-capitalism? So yeah, uh, let's yeah. define the term anarcho-capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. And let's. Um, so can I can I do you one better? Can we start by def- talking about what anarchy is a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So so, so um, anarcho. Anarcho capitalism is anarchy yeah. plus capitalism. Did I right. get that part right? Yeah. Excellent. I'm off yeah. to a good start. There's a, there's a ton of anarcho. Uh, if you, there's actually a list of, uh, words starting with anarch and they can't say oh because there's anarcho feminism, but you would not believe the number of anarcho hyphen, <laughs> or I guess that's dash in that case, dash things. So in there Wikipedia are. there's 10,000 anarcho. Oh, whatever's. oh yeah. There's okay. so many different, um, anarchic theories. Uh, and when I define anarchy, I think it'll be pretty obvious why All that right. is the case. Let's do it. Okay. So anarchy, um, is it comes from the uh, the the Greek an and arkos and without arkos rulers, so it, it literally means uh, no rulers. You'll hear anarchists use the word hierarchy a lot, um, and and hierarchy. It's funny because when you hear the word anarchy in contemporary discourse, you usually associate it with chaos and disorder, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which um, it, you know is probably valid in modern discourse, but in this context, I assure you, I don't mean chaos and disorder. I just mean without rulers. Yeah. So when people um, scream anarchy. They're they're talking about the yeah. the rioters are looting in the streets. And right. Everything's gone nuts, and they say hey, it's anarchy, and that's the the, the word the stereotype. That, yeah, the word that I would actually probably prefer to use is uh, is actually it's called it's anocracy, which means without order. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, is yeah. That, so Latin? That, is that a Latin that, yeah. So it's it's you know like democracy, right? So democracy. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it turns out that archy versus. Chrissy, uh, the, the difference is it has to do with the whether or not there's an overarching. So, ocracy has to do with like a, an existing um, rule system. So, when you say an um, anocracy, you say like there's no rules or order. When you say anarchy, you mean there's no rulers, and those are those are different things. Yeah. Okay. So, so you'll, you'll hear actually the word like like they'll say Somalia is an anarchic. I don't even know how to say the word. Anarchic. I guess anarchic. Never, no, it's not anarchic. Well, it it's is not. anarchic, but yeah. it's also uh, it's it's in a state of chaos and disorder. And they'll actually they'll say the word anocracy, anocratic. Oh, I've no. never actually said the adjective for that word out loud. Oh. So I guess when I say they say it, I mean I've read it online. And which is um, not to say that it's officially that because the government that's supposedly in charge, right? Yeah. Theoretically, is not that. Right. Because by definition, if there's a government officially in charge, theoretically, at least ostensibly, there's a government. Right. There's some form of social organization. That is not anarchy because there's not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so walk me through. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. So what versus (laughs) communism is. So like in. Yeah. Yeah. There's anarcho, anarcho, so, um, So anarcho communism is by far the most popular form of anarchy. I'm an anarcho capitalist, but there's a lot of other ones too. So. Uh, and so there we've got to, boy, we have to be careful with all of our terms, right? Because communism, uh, could be the Russian state and yeah. Lenin. Well, that's and all authoritarian kinds of communism uh, versus excellent. libertarian communism. Or it could yeah. be a commune, like eight people all decide that they're going to live communally and they're right. going to grow their own vegetables sure. or whatever. Yeah. And that is also communism writ small, right? Sure. That's com, yeah. that's communal living. And when you, when you talk about like the, the social, we should define we should define anarchy before we go too much further because it's it's all going to come back to this. So yeah. so before I define anarchy though, I should talk about hierarchy. Yeah. So hierarchy we usually associate with the system of rules, but what it actually means is the love of rulers. Um, oh really? Yeah yeah, it's interesting. If you look up the Greek, it means the love of rulers. Oh. Uh, and it and it's and so here's where the primary point of contention comes among anarchists. Uh, it, you'll probably not find this surprising, but uh, if you've ever you've ever heard the phrase like try to round up uh, rounding up libertarians is like putting chickens into a pen or there's 
Herding cats, maybe? Yeah, there you go. It's something <laughs> It's something like that because uh, you have so many different ideas and you're not really a libertarian. It's yeah. even worse in anarchic circles. Uh, but the, there, there's, really only, there's really only one major divide uh, that I've identified, um, and, and it's this. So um, voluntarist anarchists, which is what I, I am, uh, we define ruler as somebody who uses violence or fraud in order to maintain his positions. Uh, so an example would be like uh, like like uh, a ruler would be somebody who says uh, I want you to go to f- to war for me and if you don't I'm going to kill you or harm your family. Whereas a leader is someone who goes Hey, will you work for me? And in working for me, voluntarily submit to the rules that I put forward. And in the branch of uh, so so that that's that's how I I don't view leaders as being inherently problematic. I think that people can submit to the rule of others, and, and I don't consider that a ruler anymore. Right, so when I say, uh, and so this is this is why there is still order inside of anarchy. As long as they can opt out at any time, right? It can yeah. still be anarchic. And that's, that's called agorism. Actually, is the word for this this that that state agorism. Well. Agorism, yeah, the ability oh. to agor agorim or agoric, um, yeah, an agoric system. An agoric system is one where somebody can opt out. Agorism. Oh, really? Is the yeah the belief that people should be able to opt out of whatever political system exists. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to have like 5,000 notes on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have Agorism. all these links on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I'm saying some of these words almost for the first time out loud. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of weird, agorism. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's the way you say that. Well, word. maybe. People will send in questions, and then we can do round two, round three. Uh, believe this. it or not, I have. I, I, I thought about the, it. I yeah. actually have anarchic friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, friends is there, is there anarchist. like a meetup? Is there an anarchy There, there is. Group? You should come to it. ANCAP Omaha. <laughs> yeah. I am. I am the leader. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll add if you whatever links you want to the yeah. to the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so the leader, not the ruler. You guys meet monthly, or yeah, you know, we probably should. It's not <laughs> nearly that organized, though. No, there's only 15 members, and of the 15 members, three of us are actually anarchists, and the rest are skeptics. So we we basically just go to Kadoba. Usually, there's the the three major anarchists, two skeptical people, and uh, we just argue the whole time. So skeptic. What is a skeptic? Oh, well, just in general. I suppose it depends on the context. I, I think there is like skeptic with a capital S that has to do with radical doubt applied to all areas of life. But in that context, I just met somebody who does not accept the idea that oh. anarchism would work or they disagree with it for some deep philosophical reason. Oh, yeah. So I uh, tend to be, I tend to be a skeptic about right. most things in I, life. I, yeah. I am too. I, I think yeah. you should be, right? Yeah. Um, sorry. So if you're only so, two years out of high school, how yeah. long have these ideas been part of your thought process. <laughs> I've been an anarchist since late July, so not that long. Uh, but, of 2014? But, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I got you. I talked to you right after you Yeah, you no, you talked to me pretty out. early on. Hopefully I'm, I'm a little bit more articulate about it now, although I don't think I've done a good job of demonstrating that so far. <laughs> We're like six bunny trails in. Well, I'm impressed. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, I'm probably not guiding the... Uh, I, I oh, should no, have like, questions no, and no, things. No, and, no, you know, it's, it's fine. It's fine. This is good. Hopefully people <laughs> like listening to the, the ramblings of a maniac. Yeah. Because... <laughs> I'll try to bring you back to the, the yeah. beginning because I, I can't yeah. keep up with everything. So, so, uh, so I, I come from a, a very conservative uh, family, very, very Republican with a capital R, and so I've I've been I've been predisposed to certain conservative ideas uh, pretty early on. 
Uh, however, it didn't take long before it was like, we believe in open markets and, li and liberty for everybody except for women, gay people, and, and anybody who wants to be in a union, for me to start wondering if maybe there were other political ideologies that would more uh, consistently apply this idea, yeah. which is how I kind of got started on the, the cocaine that is libertarianism. Uh, you you yeah. kind of go into it. Uh, and so, or at least right libertarianism. We could talk about that, which is what we have here in the United States. Was there a period of time in your life that the Libertarian Party in like in the state of Nebraska was it was looked like the best solution to what you thought was uh, applicable um, to like the real political situation? Like, I'm wondering, did you did you phase yeah. through libertarianism into some another into? I, I I've generally anarchy? thought you know partially because of how I was exposed to libertarianism. I've generally thought of libertarians with a capital L as being reject Republicans who realize that if they brought three people to the next meeting, they could be a leader. <laughs> like oh, really? because it's such a small group. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of libertarian with a capital. Well, but they're L. actually making it onto the ballot and everything. I, like, I, I know. Was I know. I know so, it's that it's that whole uh, you know it, it's not really the no true Scotsman fallacy. I, I suppose that's something different, but it's it's kind of like that. It's like oh, those aren't real libertarians. Those are just uh, yeah, yeah, reject Republicans. I'm a real libertarian. I don't know. So um, where, where do you vote now that you're? So now you're in a situation yeah. where there's nobody on the ballot that means <laughs> yeah. like the ballot itself. Is an institutional, yeah, institutionalized uh, violence. You see a ballot, I see tyranny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. Are you I'm not quite that. Are I'm not, not quite that crazy. Okay, not quite that crazy yet. I, I'm only kidding, <laughs> I suppose, in how dramatic about it I'm being. But um, <laughs> it's only been July. You know, yeah, so it's wait. only been July. <laughs> we'll give it six more months. Yeah, give it six more months, and we'll see if I'm burning down <laughs> the voting places. No, I would never do that. I would never do yeah. anything uh, like that. Uh, no, but so. So I wonder where does I, that so like I just I, research I the individual candidates, right? I, I tend to, I you know I tend to view all of the parties as, as not as being less than ideal, and yeah. so I try to evaluate the individual candidates. Um, you know, and this isn't this is the no true Scotsman's fallacy. If you've been in any libertarian circle for any period of time, you'll learn this magical phrase called the free market, and it's this thing that just like doesn't exist. But God damn it, if it did, and everything that's good that happens in the world is the result of these these principles from the free market. But everything that's bad, well, that's just not the free market. Yeah, wow. you know what I mean. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it really started to wear on me after a while, which is why I'm not a libertarian anymore. But we can, we can get to that in a, in a little bit. But but kind of building on that idea, I tend to view all the political parties as as less than ideals. Uh, as less than ideal. I have an ideal state that I'm striving for, but yeah. anybody who can uh, most accurately approximate that, I try to go with. Well, and I've I've felt disenfranchised with the two party system for a long time. I mean, I yeah. I, I feel like yeah. These the the two parties are basically presenting us the same thing, and then I bickering agree. endlessly. You about know, maybe the, the Roman Empire would have lasted for a little bit longer if they could just get two parties to disagree on abortion and uh, gay rights. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah, no, it it's, is kind of incredible. Um, yeah, I, I mean, our incumbency rate is just astronomical, and yet yeah. everyone everyone hates Congress in sure. general. Yeah, and yet everyone loves their congressman or woman and uh, keeps reelecting yeah. them. Uh, you know, I don't meet a lot of people who people. are really actually happy with, <laughs> like, even people, uh, well, even my parents. But if pretty... the incumbency rate is 95%, either they're, the apathy rate is 99%, so they just don't care, or, right? Like well, they we, keep could, we could talk about these, this. I these, mean, these politicians, I don't understand. Yeah, I, well, I think part of it is, uh, I think most of it is, that, um, to, to be very dramatic about it. Choosing your slave master every four years doesn't make you free, right? So when you, when you're in a democratic system, right, you don't, you don't just pick anybody you want. You're picking from a, a list of candidates who, um, 
you know, are probably only able to be there because they've received campaign contributions that made them stand out above the rest. Right. That is to say that if there was a candidate who you really liked, unless there's already an existing special interest group that's willing to pay his expense to run, he probably got weeded out before you ever saw him on the ballot. Yeah. That might not be true for lower offices because they aren't really worth buying, but I think in general it's a trend that holds as the office becomes more and more economically valuable. Yeah. It, it's one of the arguments that uh, I, I will put forward against um, – a democracy specifically, I suppose. I suppose that applies generally to democracy. There's some even more sinister things that happen in um, – no, it applies to, I guess, republics. So so real quick before we leave this. So where, yeah. where I end up voting is I end up giving this protest vote against the two-party system. Oh. Okay. And that – because it drives me crazy when people vote along party lines. Yeah. And on and on it goes forever. And Nebraska's Republican state and will be forever – whatever so yeah there's the blue dot that is omaha yeah yeah right (laughs) so i you know i anytime i have a chance to vote against a democrat or republican that's very appealing to me like if there's a libertarian or a green party or whatever on the ballot i'm like wow he made it this far i'm gonna vote for him and then they get one percent he must be really cool if he made it this far (laughs) vote him in yeah Yeah. no so where does that leave you i mean as an as do you not vote at all or how do how does it work i've gone through a lot of uh, heartache over this because for a while i wasn't sure if uh, you know, and I can argue with myself over this, but for a while I had this thing where I was like, you know, is it is it kind of hypocritical for me to be an anarchist and participate in the existing political system, at least in the apparatus that that <laughs> at surface level looks like it's making decisions, right? Uh, you know, the democratic process. Is it is it ridiculous for me to say that I'm an anarchist and then sort of ex- exert this strange, uh, you know what I mean, um, power of the majority by voting? Yeah. And I, I decided that it wasn't for the same reason that if somebody, uh, you know, if a mob boss is holding you captive and he says, now, would you rather, would you rather have your legs broken or <laughs> your arm broken? It, answering the question is not saying that you support the fact that the mob boss exists. Yeah. So I do, I do vote. Um, it, as far as a particular party for which I vote, I, I really don't. I, I've been looking at Ballot Hero and, um, although overall I was, I was, um, Ballot Hero is a great idea, but I was dissatisfied with the quality of information that was available on Ballot Hero. Uh, it, you know, the, 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 you kind of get the pejoratives, right, in the political discourse. Uh, I remember I was looking at one of the candidates, and it seriously said the opening statement was, I'm ready to hold Washington accountable. And it's like, okay, I believe that Washington should be completely unaccountable. <laughs> like, 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 who is your, like, who is your opposition? I, I believe in a strong economy. I want to create jobs. And it's like, well... But how do you want to create jobs? What, what are you going to do in order to do that? What are these jobs going to be? Like, you know, what do you mean by strong economy? What are the mechanisms that you will employ to, you know what I mean, craft uh, said strong economy? Uh, unfortunately, so much of the relevant uh, information is lost in the political discourse. I, I think another tack against the political system itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, man. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I, I should probably go into all the... <laughs> Oh boy. So let, so let's, if yeah, we, so we can define so, the word anarchism. So, so, we can just so maybe, get through this. Yeah, maybe we, <laughs> did we not do that? We, we, we didn't quite get there because oh, really? I wanted to point out that, that I'm, 
I wanted to point out the fundamental divide because I'm, I'm going down a fork that'll, and this is why I'm not, it's not why I'm not a narco-communist, but it's the reason that if you meet a narco-capitalist, they'll say, well, anarcho-communists aren't really anarchists. And if you meet a narco-communist, they'll tell you, well, anarcho-capitalists aren't really anarchists. This is the fundamental definitional divide. So there's the voluntarist anarchists who believe that if you have, um, as long as you aren't using violence or fraud to inflict your state of, like, leadership is okay. You just don't want to be a ruler. Right. So you can submit to the control of others, provided that you have the ability to opt out. That's a voluntarist anarchist. That's what you are. Right. There's also a, a different sense of the word anarchist, which uh, usually anarcho-communism and anarcho-syndicalism fall into this camp. Um, it, it, it is the more traditional form of the word anarchy, which is why it doesn't have an adjective in front of it. It's usually just called anarchist, which is unfortunate. But um, it's sort of this belief that any time that there's inequality in a social situation you have a hierarchical system. So an example, so let me give you an example. So, so I would say that if you engage in a vol, if you engage in a trade where both of you can opt out, um, that's probably okay. There's a few situations where I would, I would say it's not okay. It's a little bit more, um, nuanced than that. But I would say in general, you expect to be better off. So you made the trade. The other person expects to be better off. So you made the trade. So provided that you had alternatives, the fact that that trade took place, uh, is evidence to me that, that, uh, that there's not hierarchy. At play there. Okay. Uh, the the anarcho-communist will look at the exact same situation and say, no, that's evidence that there is hierarchy because he had something that you wanted and you had something that he wanted. Oh, I see. So that's, so, yes. Okay, so so they will go capitalism or trading at all. Anything other than giving a gift without expecting anything in return is inherently hierarchical, oppressive, and destructive and incompatible with any notion of a civilized society. Okay. So there's no ownership of property <laughs> at all. There's no uh, they no? redefine oh. the word property to make oh. it compatible, but if we went into all of that, it would, it would get complicated. <laughs> it would get so complicated so quickly. The property norms that we're accustomed to in the capitalistic society would certainly not exist. Um, they have this notion of purple, purple, personal property. Um, in anarcho-communism? In, in anarcho-communism. Uh, I can still have a toothbrush. You can, but it's okay. like the toothbrush was allocated to you by the fact that society is okay with you having it. And at a moment's notice, if and, and, and this process depends from anarcho-communist to anarcho-communist, it can be taken away from you. Whereas most anarcho-capitalists or um, libertarian market anarchists will, will look at that same situation and go, eh, in order for property to really be valid, um, it, it probably needs to be a little bit more uh, set in stone than that. Like, you have an oven, and then if somebody takes it from you, we call that theft, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Unless you consent. You have to consent to trade it. Uh, the anarcho-communist goes, no, you build a swing set out of materials you already own, and the community finds value in that. You can't restrict other people's access to that swing set. That would be absurd. So even though, you know what I mean, the wood might have been your personal property, the commune said, hey, you know what? You can have some wood. Uh, you built a swing set out of it now. That's no longer yours. Uh, most anarcho-capitalists will say, okay, if you have property and you change the shape with your labor, that's actually a good reason to say that you, you know what I mean, have appropriated it, not not that it can be taken away from you. So does a voluntary anarchist own land? Do you control land? Do you have the sole, like, can you go and say this 500 acres is mine? Uh, and this is where this is also where a whole other layer of confusion comes in, um, potentially. So, <laughs> okay. like, yeah. So I, I should I should be careful. Um, 
Where? How do I even? How do I even? Like, let me let me try to ease into this. So I've, I've even I've very recently undergone yet another change, uh, and then I've become an ethical nihilist, which is I don't recommend the position to anybody, but it's 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 horrible. But but I I don't accept the existence of ethics at all. Period. I think that they're a tool that comes from religion that's used to manipulate people. Um, I'll give you morality if you define morality as like a descriptive statement about what people are doing. But fundamentally, you have is claims, descriptive claims about the world, and ought claims, normative claims. And I, I, uh, I don't believe there's any uh, objective way to find a normative claim. At least I've not been shown one. If you can show me one, I'd be interested in seeing it. Pretty sure it can't be done, and I see no way to combine descriptive claims to form one. So if somebody says, you ought to do X, my immediate response is either show me the train of logic where you have this fundamental ought claim from which that assertion can be justified, uh, <laughs> its existence seems dubious to me, uh, or I call bullshit, right? And so I actually, um, with this revelation, uh, it's tough to say whether or not you could even call me a voluntarist anarchist anymore uh, in an ought sense. Oh, I just I, wrote that down. I know. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. So, so I am a voluntarist anarchist in that I think that if you put a group of people together and you didn't have a centrally coercive agency like the state, these types of, of, of norms would form. But I don't think that... I have the authority to say that they should work that way or that somebody should have the ability to own land. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? Or, or somebody ought to be able to appropriate land in this way. In fact, I would argue that market forces <laughs> need to decide the way in which property can be allocated and appropriated. And we can talk a little bit more about that in sort of the uh, the market of law or the market of arbitration. How can market forces be used to decide these norms? Yeah, so, so when it comes to morality, yeah. I have a whole... We, we have a whole tear that we could go on about that, but, um, yeah. So, but let's yeah. not do that yet. Let's, 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 let's should we go to anarcho capitalism? What, well, what, what I'm interested, <laughs> what I'm interested in, maybe yeah. to reframe, reframe it for, for people listening is that, um, right now we live in a society and it's, uh, it's capitalism, democracy, re- representative republic, yeah. you know, whatever it is that we live in right now. It's a thing. And I'll give you that. Yeah, there, 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 it exists, <laughs> it's a thing, right? right. Yeah. The words don't really matter. We're all here. So I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to, maybe we could frame, like in a hypothetical universe where we could just wave a magic wand and suddenly yeah, we had volunteerism, uh, voluntarist. Yeah. It, so, so this is where the no truth, remember I was talking about the no truth, Scott. Well, go yeah. ahead and finish your point. No, no. Maybe it's the... Yeah, we, we talked about this last fall where yeah. my, my head exploded and I was just like, okay, well, how would that work? How yeah. would that actually yeah. work from a day-to-day basis? And you used the example of the grocery store. Yeah. So maybe you can walk people through, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe it's not as scary as people think if there's no government, if there's no yeah. – does that mean there's no police? Does that mean there's no firemen? Does that mean there's no roads? What does that yeah. mean? Yeah, who will who will educate the roads uh, against foreign invaders? Right, <laughs> it's the question. The <laughs> I don't know. Coming <laughs> who will educate the children? Who will build the roads? What about foreign invaders? Right, there. exactly. So um, these these are all my concerns about disbanding our government, even if we could. So. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh man, it, it's so. To, I mean, if we go back yeah. in time, we go back a few hundred years. Yeah. People like, like, especially in North America, you know, people lived in tribes and they, they moved around from place to place and mm-hmm. the resources were all communal, right? Well, unless they were, they were warring mm-hmm. against other. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but pretending that there were no wars between different 
tribal systems and yeah, Native American society. I can't American imagine looking at part of liberty with that assumption or history with that assumption. No. Go uh, ahead. No, I'm, Go just, ahead. I'm just saying, yeah, like, yeah, say we yeah. could all get along. Sure. Imagine a universe where we could all get sure. along and there were plenty of buffalo for everybody Can't and we could we just wander just around. Apparently exactly. Not. <laughs> Apparently not is all I have to say to that. Believe me, I'm trying. That's all I want to fix during <laughs> yeah. this course of this podcast. If everyone gets along at the end of this, then I know we succeeded. Yeah. So. So help me understand, was that, like if we're, like say we're all hunting buffalo and we're all moving around in these these collective groups of 30 to 60 people or whatever it is, is is that, I mean there's a, there if there's a chief, but I am only following the chief because I choose to, like say I have the freedom of movement, yeah. I can go leave this tribe and go to another tribe if I want to, right? Right. Or we can use the, the hippie commune analogy. Like, say we we're all living in little tiny hippie communes, you know, and so there were like 10 to 20 people that all volunteered to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't like it, you could move to another one. Is that an anarchic situation? Yeah, and so you're, you're hitting on a really important thing, which uh, I usually say right at the beginning, but anarchy, while it's something that we're, uh, you know, its contemporary meaning is something that's kind of to be feared, right, a state of anarchy, we actually... Uh, most of our lives, at least here in a relatively, uh, you know, free country, uh, is lived in an anarchic state. At least from the standpoint of uh, you don't have centrally coercive, or not even forget central, you don't have coercive agents. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, shaping your behavior throughout most of your uh, your discourse, right? If, you don't if you you're don't go to the, yourself if you're yeah. if you're following the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, most people most people do, and, and that's we'll, we'll kind of get to that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, chances are, if you go to the grocery store, I think this is the analogy I yeah. gave you. You, you and you you buy something. At no point in that transaction will either one of you pull out a gun and be like, "Give me X." Um, and, and there's there's several reasons for this. Um, I. And, and this is, this is for, I suppose, this is why I think that anarchy is possible. I actually think that if we look at this from a game theory perspective, there's a Nash equilibrium at nonviolence inside of human behavior. And it's this Nash equilibrium that's actually the, re- the reason that we can have society at all. We're very fortunate that it turns out that most of the time it's not in people's rational self-interest to be nonviolent, because if it was, uh, we would, we would not have many of the wonderful things we do today. Well, from an evolutionary perspective, I think that we've evolved to get along better Absolutely. with each other. And as the and population increases, the people that can get along with more people, sure. as population density rises, the people who can get along with people the best, and this is the argument I would make about morality yeah. if we we're going to go make yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that, <coughs> I, I, I would give you that. I would yeah. say absolutely. Hopefully um, they're removed from the gene pool if they're incapable of living, sure. you know. Yeah. Peacefully with other people, and that that is true. Why why do we have this moral? There's this like moral intuitionism. Why do we have this uh, you know intuitive moral framework that most people seem to accept? Uh, and I, I would argue it's it's sort of uh, you know an a evolutionary advantage that we have that we don't have to think through. Is it really in my self interest to kill somebody? We can probably just you know know inside of our gut that we shouldn't kill somebody at least when they're a part of our own group, uh, and that's an advantage. However, it's worth noting that while uh, you maybe have to be a sociopath to see them, there are lots of reasons uh, to not kill somebody in a given moment, and they don't necessarily involve the state. Uh, perhaps the easiest one is just the fact that it's, um, you know, at least in most cases, if you're killing regularly, it's, it's difficult to conceal like, you know, theft spree. It's like Dexter. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing to conceal. Uh, and even if somebody can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you're killing people, if you start killing people that you disagree with, people might start suspecting. And uh, and then, you know, people are wary of you. So uh, we, we call that the, the discipline or the, the, 
what is it? The discipline of constant dealings. It's actually it's a thing that comes from economics, and it's uh, it's used to describe situations where companies will actually not go to court over disputes. Instead, they'll they'll move to a private arbiter, and the reason they'll do this is because of the discipline of constant dealings. It turns out that there's rational self-interest behind maintaining uh, certain contracts. I think if you want to get right down to it, it comes from tribalism. It's the idea that if you watch the women, you know what I mean, uh, while I hunt, you know what I mean, <laughs> uh, that'll be better for both of us. So it's it's not in our best interest to kill each other constantly. And while most people intuitively understand this, uh, it, it is very much the result of biology, it seems to me. Well, I think so. So th- this is where the – so let's let's start with a supermarket analogy. So it's it's possible, we think. Yeah. That we could live in an anarchic state, an mm-hmm. anarchic situation. I could still have my choice of grocery stores. I could still go to some of these grocery stores and they'll have milk and cheese and right. bread on the shelves. Yeah. And I can pick things and I can look at their price and I can decide whether or not that's too much. If I don't like it, I can go to another grocery store, et cetera. And that all of that can happen without a government of any kind. That's yes. possible, right? That's the theory. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah okay. that, that, that is that is the theory. I, I'm not I'm not sure where you're going with this. Are you? Are well, you? So then the next. So it, so let's assume that's possible. Mm-hmm. But, and I, 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 I mean, think I, it I'm is, arguing. I think yeah, general, I'm arguing that most. Uh, now it it is worth noting because there will be somebody who points it out that it's it's. Um, and this is why I should probably talk about the no true Scotsman thing. It's worth noting that if you're just considering the free market in the absence of the state, that that, that does not exist. So you can't look at the grocery store situation and go, look at what's possible without the state, because, of course, the state probably built the roads on which the goods were transported. The state probably has a, a, a hand in regulation about what goods are being bought and sold. The state controls the currency, <laughs> which is like 50% of every transaction, right? Uh, I mean, the state does all kinds of things inside of that situation. The state provides um, the, the, the store owner. Owner, uh, protection for his property, right? If somebody, people are, uh, besides the reasons that I described for people being concerned about violence, it's certainly true that in the modern world, people are concerned about violence against the state mm-hmm. when they're violent against other people. So that plays into it. So it's it's not really fair to look at the grocery store situation and go, see, aha, anarchy is completely possible. No, when I go and to, I acknowledge that. Like, no, today, yeah. when I go to the grocery store, right. every aspect of me leaving my house to the grocery store, everything I see has been touched by the government. Same. Yeah, at some but, point. But it's right. not necessarily so, right? The, the conversation we had was, oh, well, someone would build the roads because if there was demand to build roads and people had money right. and people wanted roads, then right. they'd find somebody they wanted to build the sure. roads. There you go. Right. Free market capitalism, everything will be fine. The, yeah. So I think the where, where I was even, going, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Where I was yeah. going with that is how does it work? Like, So say we're in our scenario where there is an anarchic situation mm-hmm. and – uh, and then crime does occur, right? Yeah. So now yeah. what? Now do I yeah. call? So what? There's a private security force that somebody, you know, so the yeah. gas station gets robbed three times and he's like, oh, screw this. I'm going to hire a guy with a gun as a mercenary to patrol the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. And that looks a lot like the police. I mean, do you end up? Mm-hmm. So what, what you know, when, where we difference? got cut off last yeah. fall is that I was thinking, you know, the more I talk to Alec about the real world situation of an anarchic uh, it sounds state. like the state. It yeah. sounds like we're getting back to government again. <laughs> you know, well, it, it, <laughs> what, but, what, but, what bits of that do are, yeah. are not? Uh, you're getting the back same. to the yeah. You're getting back to the parts of government that are probably essential for for for. Um, there are some things that the government does well, and there's some things that the government does unwell. I would argue. Um, I mean, I was a minarchist before I was an anarchist, so I believed in sort of a, a night watchman state kind of thing. Minarchist? Minarchist, yeah. A minarchist is somebody who believes that the government should exist exclusively for the purpose of protection from foreign invaders and uh, property arbitration. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
and Wait, everything yeah courts there are courts in the minute yeah yeah so oh, okay. yeah yeah so so yeah so like uh and then you define everything as property so like yeah so oh. it's like property <laughs> arbitration see. so they have a record they keep a record of who owns what right somebody has a dispute they they look at the record and they decide right or they use proof beyond a reasonable doubt via some mechanism maybe it's a jury uh, to decide to resolve those conflicts so if somebody punched me in the face they hit my property with their fist right that yeah. my face is my property. And right. You can't yeah. Hit it. Yeah. That's what a minute exactly. would say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, same, no, you own your result. body. If That's you're, fine. you know, if you, if you, if you were in a horrible accident and your kidney fell out on the road, we would say that you, you, you know, I mean, you can, if somebody like stole your kidney, they would be stealing your kidney, right? Like we, we generally understand that while it, it's kind of weird to talk about your body as if it's owned by you, the same sort of ownership claims apply. Is uh, that with or without the three second rule on the kidney? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Does it exactly. Apply? Somebody, you know, I, I just, hey, look, I mixed my labor with the land. I picked it up. I have homesteaded this kidney. It was abandoned property. <laughs> so how does it not end up back to where we started? Yeah, great question. Um, it, so before I answer it, I'm sorry. I, there's so many things. I just, I just want to point this out really quickly. Um, I don't play the no true Scotsman game. And so, um, I, I, I talk about the free market as an ideal standard, but if you catch me talking about the free market existing, please call me out on it. I'm trying to get away from it. It's from a dark libertarian past. All the principles that I'm talking about are already active in the existing system. So, um, I, I don't have to go. The existing oh, current system? Yeah, or the, ex- the existing current oh. system. I believe that it's the principles that I'm advocating already exist well, all around let's us. Let's define the no true Scotsman. Can you start that from the. Yeah, no true Scotsman is like, um, you would go to me. I, I, I don't know. It's tough to even do. Like, so, so a com- it's easier with somebody who I don't agree with. So a communist, right? Uh, you go, hey, I don't think communism works. Look at this example, and they go, okay, well, but I mean, that's that's not really communism. Okay. Right, and it's like, oh, okay, well, so so what's communism? And they'll, they'll tweak it. And they'll go, oh, well, actually, you know, we've tried that thing over here too, and that is, well, that's not really <laughs> communism. I mean, there's no true Scot. And it's the idea there's no true Scotsman. Okay. Right. It, it, it's sort of this thing where... where um, you can't ever pin them down. Right. Because okay. I, it's this shifting of the goalposts so that you can never be disproven. Right, right. Um, and, and so to avoid that, because I do think it's a very real problem, especially in this area, whether we're talking to anarcho-communists, anarcho-capitalists, or just plain old libertarians, it drives me nuts. This constant changing of definitions or or taking only the good parts of something. Right, uh, and not taking the bad parts in that causes problems. Yeah. It's also worth noting that in the, in order to talk, it's part of what, um, I, I think makes the anarcho-capitalistic position, um, plausible is its consistent application of the same principles to everything. Uh, I guess I haven't really talked about this, but when I talk about the state, I'll use economic principles to talk about the state. I'll talk, like, public choice theory is just basic economics applied to, um, you know what I mean? The state applied to government systems. I don't think of the government actor as being intrinsically different from a large corporation. Like, is, is there a difference between Walmart and the state? Well, there are some differences, but in a lot of ways, they're, they're very similar in how they operate. And so uh, th- this consistent application, uh, I, I agree, markets fail. Markets aren't perfect. They fail. And I would argue one of the greatest market failures is the state itself. Um, so with that, with that pointed out, I... Um, what was your original question? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I remember I wanted to specifically go on that small rant. Yeah, no, you had I, asked me. I, I think where we were is that I was asking, well, okay, so now that guy hires private security, and so right. now he's got you know a, yeah. somebody with a gun there that so, looks so a lot like a So why is this preferable to so, the existing? So say, yeah, if we have yeah. our anarcho, our perfect uh, system, 
And we keep adding things on. We keep saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll just hire police for that or we'll hire a guy to put out the fires or we'll hire a yeah. guy to, do, you know, whatever. Yeah. How does that not end up back where we are today? Like where where is the stuff that we don't end up with if we had a perfect Oh, man, it, it's tough to even know where to begin. So uh, before we even go into sort of there, there's some fundamental economic differences that I think are worth noting. But before we even get into that, you don't have – if we're assuming that the market, uh, obviously this is what's not fair because the state is subject to market forces too. I have to be careful how I do this. But if you, uh, when we think about like common political discourse, uh, it, it's generally accepted that democracy works at least to a, to a, a sufficient extent that we shouldn't abolish the state tomorrow, right? And, and put in a new system, as, at least with the people that I encounter. That, that seems to be the generally accepted thing. Obviously I don't have that position. Or that opinion. That democracy um, works. That democracy works or that representative republics work. I, I will grant you that like of the state configurations, it's probably the most preferable. Uh, but I, I think there is a more preferable socioeconomic configuration. Um, so I, I guess I could just enumerate what I see to be the problems in having a, um, a, a police force or a fire force controlled by this political system. Sure. The, the, the first and most obvious problem is that, um, and, and again, this is where I say we need to apply standards consistently, the state itself is subject to market forces, or more specifically, people within the state are subject to market forces. We already talked about the process by which um, you expect at least that in more powerful offices, candidates are already bought and sold before you even begin to select them. That's a problem that's a little bit unique to, the, to a republic. Um, there's other problems, too. Uh, so if you if you consider... Um, well, well, so now we're talking about campaign financing, right? Sure. We're talking about right. if, if you could get if you could get private money. So, so there's the, I, know, there's I, the whole I, money the case speech th- argument, and there's the whole... The, but. So, so the first point is centralized power can be bought and sold more easily than several competing firms oh, yeah. okay. is the first point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I suppose that would be I, I can expand on that, but that's kind of the first point I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make. Why yeah. is why is it more preferable to have competing firms offering these, um, admittedly coercive forces in some situations? Right. You have to coerce the person not to be a thief. <laughs> Ideally, that's why you called him is to get him out of your store <laughs> and maybe pry the the box of Cheerios out of his hand in the process. So I mean, well, if I hire a private security to protect my property, right, in an anarchic situation, mm-hmm. and there's a dispute, yeah. right? Meaning that someone's now dead. How does Maybe. that? Maybe okay. I mean, not necessarily. No, I know, not necessarily. But, okay, but let's but say it, you you violence, shot the guy. Yeah. I assume violence would still happen occasionally. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah God. Okay. I'm not one. Of when those it people. does happen, yeah. then what? What? How does that work? When there's no government, with, there's yeah. still a court system, or yeah. And and see, this is and this I didn't is mean to derail I'm, your. No, I'm sorry. It's too bad because everything is just so you know off bomb bunny trails. <laughs> I, I want to do before I answer that question. Yeah, I yeah. want to do another brief rant. And, Go ahead. Uh, we'll need a fl- like we, we can re- we can do a part two where we'll yeah. have a flow chart and we'll hit the tree. <laughs> You know, as we go. Yeah, ask for clarification at different points. <laughs> uh, it's worth pointing out at this point in the conversation yeah. that asking me, um, in the context of market forces, how will service X be provided yeah. uh, is, is really very unanswerable by one person. If I could give you a good answer to that question, that would be a good reason to make me the, the dictator. My position is actually that no one person can answer questions like that. I can give you theories. I just want to point out that oh, yeah. I don't have an authoritative I, answer. Yeah, I'm just looking and for I the don't most know. likely scenario. Right. Uh, and, and actually, I think trying to prescribe a single authoritative answer to every situation is just a generally bad idea. Right. Another reason I would go for Has this ever first. been done, by the way? Like in anywhere in history, at any point in time, has, it, has anarcho-capitalism ever been the way that things have worked? <laughs> yeah, so this, I'll go a little bit in no 
Andrew Scotsman here and say no, okay. not to my satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, we've never done it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I it mean, there, great, there's definitely though. been like anarcho-communist experiments. Anarcho-capitalism is a term coined by Murray Rothbard in the 80s. So this is, a, I mean, a really new idea, actually. Mm. Um, and all the anarcho-communists hate it. But uh, yeah, we've done some anarcho-communistic experiments. Um, they, they usually fail because of resource allocation problems. Capitalism solves those. So, I mean, I think there's reason to expect it to work, um, obviously. I think that we, we, we have the principles that, re- that underpinning the system at work today. I, I just think that with advancements, in, so this is what it's going to come to, with advancements in modern technology, the state is no longer necessary, whereas once it was. Yeah. Um, it, it is, is my specific anarchic twist. Not everybody agrees with that. Some people are just like, the state from day one was a bad idea, and it plays on people's religious superstitions, so they accepted it on bad evidence and blah, blah, blah. I'm not one of those people. I think that actually at one point the state was probably a pretty good idea, but now it's not. Um, but all this, I'm sorry, all this is to say we're like three bunny trails in. Let me try to go back here. So, so I, I can't, it's difficult for me to give you um, an exact answer. Uh, but if I had to, if I had to answer your question, which I do, um, the way I envision, um, what we think of as law working, um, in an anarchic state is, uh, well, a combination of several things. Number one, I'm, I'm the worst libertarian in the world because I don't own a gun. Uh, it's, it's actually too bad. I'm going to, someday I'm going to go to some kind of libertarian convention. I'll be the only unarmed one there. Uh, but I, I am, I'm very pro-gun. Which is, uh, <laughs> which is funny. And one of the reasons that I'm, I'm, I'm pro-gun, um, is, uh, I, I have a strong belief that while there's a lot of negative things that happen with guns, there's a, uh, just because if you have guns around, people are more likely to shoot. I mean, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. But violence as a whole is reduced because there's sort of a positive externality of gun ownership that is, uh, if you have lots of people in a given area who might own guns, people are generally concerned about aggressing against them because for all you know, he could shoot you, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> uh, so, so I actually, I, I see that as one very, uh, trying to take as much as of what the state does now and have that be provided by individuals, I see as being a very, uh, attractive idea. I don't think that that will happen all the way through. Obviously, there's some people who don't want to own guns. There's, uh, there's, there's people who can't own guns for whatever reason. There's people who are bad shots. I'm not saying that that's the only solution, well, but that's, should, that's one, that's one point. We should have I mean. a whole other episode where we just yeah. talk about guns because I own guns and think there should be fewer of them. So I'm like an anti-gun owning gun. Okay. I, I don't own guns, but I sing their praises. Right. You know, I, I don't sing their praises because it's, it, it's tough. It's another one of those. There's no optimal situation, but I think no, it's I, better if people have access to guns. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. so let's do a whole different episode about yeah. guns, yeah. But, but guns so the, aside. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so number two, um, it, it's worth noting that, um, you know, we have this, uh, I would argue, false sense of security uh, from the fact that the state has existing um, infrastructure around, you know, supposedly enforcing your rights. Um, but I think if that was not there, people would have a lot of interest in that, um, right? I, I would want to know that, that I'm generally protected. And so I think there's a lot of incentive then for there to be private agencies to fulfill that need. Um, right off so the who's paying the private agencies? And aren't the private agencies then always going to be beholden to whoever's paying them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the individuals who are paying them. Right. Yeah. Isn't that a problem? I mean, if I'm, uh, if, if the the court not as big of a problem because uh, just like there's, I can't believe I'm going to use this analogy, but here we go. Just like there's lots of different shampoo <laughs> on the shelf, I don't foresee. Um, and see, this is I'm probably going to have to describe a little bit more of it for this analogy to completely make sense. I don't foresee there being uh, like. 
I don't think that the economy of scale that comes from having, you know what I mean, uh, more, uh, like scaling up your violence, right? Scaling up, or let's go with your rights enforcement, right? So you have you have cops in Omaha, you have cops in the state. There's there's an economy of scale that comes from scaling up. I think when you have because uh, you need fewer officers to patrol larger areas, especially as technology improves. Um, I, I actually don't think that works against the the disincentives, the the inefficiencies that come from scaling. Um, and, and the reason I think that is, um, bear with me, I'm going to go to a different part of the explanation and then come back to this, because we, there, there's, another, there's another really important thing we have to talk about um, inside of arbitration agencies, uh, which is that if one arbitration agency comes up against another arbitration agency, and no matter how big they are, assuming they don't take over the entire world, but not even states are able to do that right now, so <laughs> probably not going to happen. So assuming they don't have control of the entire world, that's going to happen, and it's probably pretty intuitive that's going to happen, so we have to plan for this ahead of time. So, like, if you if you steal my TV and um, I uh, I call up my rights enforcement agency and I'm like, hey, somebody stole my, my TV, um, I tend to imagine a lot of rights enforcement coming in the form of insurance, so maybe it's, I have, like, theft insurance on my property at my house, and uh, prudently they've installed a camera. I know this this example is getting way out there, but bear with me. And they or some by some mechanism they figure out that you're the person who's stolen it, and so they go, "Hey, give back Alex TV, or we're gonna send over some big tough burly guys to take it." And you go, "Uh huh. Well, what 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 do you mean, Alex TV? That's my TV. I bought it. I agree that it looks uh, it looks very similar, but it's my TV. And I'll tell you what, if you send over six big burly guys, I'll just call my rights enforcement agency, and they'll send over eight big burly guys." How, um, how does that not happen? Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm setting up. I'm setting oh, right. up. The, I'm setting up the situation so I can explain to you why it doesn't happen. Right. right? And so, and so at this point, it, it's plausible tempting. so far. Yeah. 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 And so you go, so what stops, I mean, like, like total war from breaking out between yeah. these two, uh, these two agencies? And I think the answer is violence is expensive. The same reason that total war didn't break out between the two of us. It just also applies to the agency too. Um, it, but they, they, it? they could like fight to the death and in the process of of you know what I mean, uh, working on our particular dispute, neglect other parts of you know neglect other uh, customers, and maybe a competitor would come in. They, they could do that, but they're probably not going to want to. So maybe they'll go to a private arbitration agency, which we do have precedent for. These private arbitration already exists because the legal system is so inefficient. But they go to a private arbitration agency. Uh, they both agree ahead of time, since it's not like I mean, if you're in the rights enforcement business, it's not like you don't plan for this to happen. Like, oh, what? When could human wants ever conflict with each other? <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, they've probably already agreed ahead of time. Um, uh, it, but even if they didn't, they have enormous incentive to go to a particular rights enforcement agency. It's important to note that the incentive of the agency in this case is to have a good reputation for making um, making good judgments, right? Yeah. And so what we think of as law in the current system, I see as coming from a system of enforcement agencies and arbitration agencies, maybe working together, maybe working as separate distinct agent, um, you know, uh, groups, um, contracting together. And this has a, and this is, the, we're going to finally get to the shampoo example, why I don't think the whole world will be taken over by one or two um, enforcement agencies. So, why do we have like states like Nebraska, California, Tennessee? Um, at least part of the reason why we have hierarchies inside of our government is that life is different in different regions, right? Um, I uh, in Nebraska, we um, 
we, we might be a bit more concerned about what happens to a cow. I don't know. I'm a, I'm, I'm such a stereotypical, like, I, I'm sure other Nebraskans will hate me because it's like cows and corn is <laughs> all you hear about when you tell people about Nebraska, but I don't know enough about Nebraska to know what our actual disputes are over here. Yeah. Uh, so, so maybe you have a dry place, right? Let's go with this. There's a super dry place and it's like a desert. Well, arbitration surrounding how water is used or who has access to which water or what water rights are. Um, it's going to be a really high value. So the arbitration agencies are going to make sure to have that carved out, and they're going to have to sell the fact that they dis- they handle water disputes fairly, right? Similarly, uh, in other parts where water is plentiful, you might not care as much, right? And, and so because of the differences across the different areas, I foresee it being very difficult to maintain a monopoly. It's just difficult to organize, just like there's lots of different shampoos. And mind you, we're only considering region right now. I think that's one of the problems with the state is that we spend so much time, you know what I mean, deciding uh, over what region laws should apply that we, we don't spend enough time thinking about uh, over what people should laws apply. Maybe I need to have a completely different set of laws because of my line of work, or maybe I want to buy different levels of protection, and maybe you know that when you contract with me ahead of time. It, it sounds kind of creepy to people at first, but... Um, well, the so, fact that people would be concerned about the complexity is actually a market incentive to keep it pretty simple, or at least have entry level, um, <laughs> right? Entry but level if, ways. If you and I are in conflict, right? Yeah. And so now we've got this network of enforcement, we've got this network of mediators. Sure. Yeah. And I, of course, want to hire my mediator, and you want to hire your mediator. How do we ever get anything? Well, we've, we've out? probably hired a mediator in advance. Again, when I think of, um, and this is intuitive to me, uh, just for my thought experiment, I'm not an authoritative answer, but when I think of rights enforcement, I think of it almost more as of insurance. Part of the uh, part of the problem with the state is that it, it also kind of, we, we tend to group lots of things together. I think there's actually lots of different roles that police fill in different situations that could be fulfilled by distinct entities. For example, protecting my personal property could be like some kind of theft insurance. But like defending a general person from murder on the street could be some kind of ad hoc surface that's offered to families on demand. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's another form of, maybe it's something that comes with a life insurance policy. You know what I mean? Because the insurance company doesn't want to have to pay out. Um, I mean, again, the, the opportunities are endless. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is, this is another, uh, argument I would, I would say for markets. It's when you, when you have, I, I don't even advocate for one particular solution. I just want to be trying things. Yeah. Right. So some people go, you know, big government. Some people go small government. I, I don't know the optimal size. I don't, I don't think that it, you know, I don't know should this law well, apply no to No government this. was the whole right, idea. Right. Yeah. No, hold on. Hold on. But, Sorry. Yeah. In the context <laughs> of like, of like, should we, you know, should this regulation apply to all of Nebraska or just half of Nebraska or just Omaha or just people, you know, who do this thing or just people who do that thing or income yeah. earners above 50, you know, 50%? I don't know. And I would argue that trying to make that distinction is a calculation problem. It's like trying to guess the price of something. Yeah. It's really, really hard to do. And so I would say the market is the best way to do that, which yeah, yeah. indirectly ends up being an answer, right? I'm actually for not big government, not small government, not smaller government, but like individual level government, right? Individual sovereignty. Um, but it's worth noting that when you, when you, when you take conflicting, I mean, even governments have conflicts, right? When you take the, the conflicts between individual sovereignty, you sort of end up with this mechanism that does, like you said, very much resemble, um, the existing government. I would argue it just operates, um, it, 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 it's, it's harder to buy out because you have, you have different sections that you would need to buy out if you were going to try to buy out parts of it. Um, unlike, 
and, and see, I, it's hard not to transition to the criticisms of the current state. But unlike the current system, people would have a direct economic incentive to know what their their the, the rules that apply to them are, and you know what I mean. Know what the rules that they're buying are, and know what the company is doing. Where I mean, the average person has, <laughs> it seems to me, uh, very little idea of what's going on in the political discourse. And, and it also separates concerns in a very distinct way. Like, for example, if somebody advocates that the state do X, well, they've indirectly advocated that the state exists and therefore probably also do lots of other things they didn't necessarily mean. The, the state kind of tends to be this all or, or, or nothing thing, it yeah, seems, yeah. right? Or at least it's very difficult to enumerate all the things the state is doing. This provides a bit more transparency yeah. about what's going on by separating the entities. Yeah. So it- yeah. So when we, when we look at um, did that was that slightly coherent? Like I yeah, mean, no, like, it, like what, what are you? I mean, <laughs> are we? Well, I, I think what I, you're saying is it's, it you don't know, right? And it, right, it's, I don't it's know. Hard to but but that's my thought experiment. But, if you, right. but that's my thought experiment. Right, right. At least why it's mildly plausible. Yeah. No, Actually, you, I don't think it's mildly plausible. I think it's very convincing. Well, I think obviously, and I think what we should do now is transition from we're we're not exactly sure how the details of these things would work and no human being is sure right but there are people who are trying right so like right. in new hampshire they have the free state project and they already have um they already have uh, they have a couple of different competing pli- private police forces there um b- because uh well i mean it's 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 the free state project there are a bunch of libertarians who don't <laughs> so so here's my proposal so yeah. what you think maybe what we should do is transition into your criticisms of the current political system right because mm-hmm. we've We've touched on those briefly, but haven't, you know, let you go off into it. And then talk about the Free State Project and how those things address whichever bits of the problems. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe existing tiny bits of evidence showing how at least parts of what I'm talking about exist in the current world. Yeah. Right, because that's important, right? Am I talking about something that's just completely off in the air, or do some of these things actually exist? I think we do have arbitration. We have some private police, not as much. Yeah, the things that we can fix with the current system. Yeah. I mean, I remember you gave me a, oh, a whole and this is where huge we're gonna, list of, yeah. is this, this a bad is, idea? This is a- no, well, we're, we're just going to have to come to a point. Uh, it, part, of, part of what makes me an anarchist is that I believe that I don't think the current system can be fixed. I think there's a structural flaw in the layout of it that, that'll make it basically impossible to fix and that we basically need to, to start over. So my, I don't want to do this violently. My goal is to spread the idea as far as possible because the reason that the state exists is that the majority of people uh, believe that the state should exist um, and, and try to convince people that no, actually it shouldn't exist and we, we should try to do something different. Um, but we can we can get to that after I've criticized the state. There's, yeah. there's a lot more to say about so why that specifically. The, why should the state not exist? So of, of all the political systems, I think you mentioned earlier, that of yeah. all the political systems that we know about and have documented and have studied in political science, that probably what we're running with now is, you know, somewhere near the top of the list as far as uh, flat-out authoritative, authoritative capitalism or communism is bad. Um, and you know, uh, I don't know. North Korea's got. Some, I mean, look, they've got some bad parts. They got some good starts too. <laughs> no, I'm just I mean, di- dictatorships are bad. You know, all the, these systems are. Yeah. No. Are, absolutely. And this is this is what's really hard because I'm also. I, I have this. It's annoying being an anarchist because you basically just have this position of like, no matter what you think, it's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, well, what if we tried? You know what I mean? Do you want to go live in communist China? You're sort of just like this person who's always going, now I don't. 
have you ever like wanted to go out to dinner with somebody and, and like you're like you want to go to Cordoba? No, no, not Cordoba. Yeah. You want to go to Burger King? No, I really kind of want to sit down somewhere. Is there a country you'd rather? Is there a country who's just like like I I hate our political process in yeah. terms of the two party system. Like I would be much sure. happier with like a first past the poll uh, sort of uh, situation. Oh, really? I, I would, yeah, but well, we can but, talk about that because it's one of my criticisms. Well, that, that's I, I just elections, though. That's just okay, that's yeah. just the electoral process, right? Yeah, and sure. that's just one tiny bit of what government oh, yeah. does. Yeah, of course. And uh, the argument we're trying to make, I think, is for um, of all the governments in the in the world, I don't know other than the elective process and healthcare, and you know, uh, I, I think our system works really well as far as freedom of speech, freedom of the press, yeah. sort of. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we could talk about that. Part of it is the precision of the terms freedom of speech and freedom of press, right? Yeah. But, um, but, uh, so if it's a pretty decent, if it's a pretty good yeah. system, yeah, absolutely. right? Tell me why it still needs to be torn down. Like, and it cannot well, be fixed. You said there's a fatal flaw which cannot be resolved. And, and I'll talk are, about that. That's okay, not just one. That? It's oh. like, I, I, <laughs> this is where we'll talk about the, uh, if it was just one, I would say maybe we could tweak it, but well, I think you'll see it's kind of like somewhere. pounding nails in the coffin. <laughs> um, I, no, no, it's a good question. Um, I, I suppose <laughs> for the same reason you – I guess the short answer is because I think there's there's a much better system to make it a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more of an emotional appeal. I mean uh, when – I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I am. When markets operate – Efficiently, right? There's there's more productivity, and if you look at like the, uh, the the average standard of living, it's it's rising at least in most par- pardon me most parts of the world, and part of that is uh, innovation, right? Uh, innovation that's at least partially enabled or uh, spurred on by market activity. Uh, part of it is is the benevolence of other people, which of course uh, when you have more, you're able to be benevolent. So having uh, productive markets where people can specialize more easily increases the overall human condition. Um, it does it in several ways. So, so um, I, I, it, it's tough. So, so there, there's really two things. So, number one is I think there's a more optimal configuration, and I think we should move to it just because it's better. Like, like going saying, um, you would never say there are other people in the world that are hungrier than I. Therefore, I am not hungry. You would never make that statement. In a similar way, I don't think we should make the statement like there are other systems that are worse than our current system. Therefore, our current system is okay. I, I, I just I don't think that follows. There are still problems with it, and I think we should strive um, we should strive to improve it. Unfortunately, in this case, I, I think if we want to improve it in a way that's systemically stable, we probably need to challenge some pretty fundamental principles about it. Uh, and when I say fundamental principles, I don't mean things like the existence of the police or arbitration. I mean things like is democracy a good way? You know what I mean? Are elections a good way to choose leaders? I mean, is is this the way we want to do it? Uh, so, well, this is the list I want to hear, but I'm trying yeah. not to stomp your. Yeah, no, train no, no. Of so, so, so um, and then uh, the fatal flaws of our current system. And, yeah, the fatal flaws. It sounds so <laughs> dramatic. And then, and then we could talk about some. Th- there's fatal flaws in the market system too, and I could I could talk about those and why I think that they're not fatal. I, I suppose there's flaws in the market system too. Of course, there are because the state is a manifestation of market forces. Has to be. Um, so there, there are flaws in the market system too, and, well, I don't, I don't think it, but I don't think they're as big of a problem as the flaws that are in the state system. Yeah. So I'll start, I'll start enumerating the problems in the state system. I think I've, I've shot this cow in the head several times, so I'll let it go. <laughs> Did you have any, sorry, any questions? No, about no, that go, last? So yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, yeah. So let me, let me, it's hard because there's, there's, there's several of them and I want to try to 
it's going to sound stupid, but I want to enumerate them in the right order so that I don't forget any. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Okay. okay. So, uh, so the first thing, I, I'm just going to consider, um, I suppose we probably agree that, that at least uh, systems that involve, like, some form of a democratic process are preferable to totalitarian states. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I need to make that case, so I'm going to focus yeah. on kind of uh, democratic states or representative republics or, you know what I mean, those, those kinds of, uh, those Western, you know, what we would consider civilized states. Yeah. that I think we can all agree are preferable to other states. Yeah, let's take the best that we've got. Right, let's take the best that we've got and it. show why it's inadequate. <laughs> yeah. um, so <laughs> so considering just the democratic up. process alone, yeah. uh, you, you have several disincentives. Disincentive number one I mentioned earlier is that inside of the democratic process, um, voting is a public good. And so what I mean by that is when you consider the, the, the rational self-interest of, of a voter – um, the chances that his vote will influence the, even if we're just considering direct democracy, keeping it simple at first, direct democracy, the chance that his vote will, um, will be the swing vote of the election, right? The marginal utility of his vote is, is very low. And yeah. so as a result, the marginal utility is low. However, in order to be educated about the political system, uh, he would need to study a lot. And so as a result, you have an incentive to either not vote at all because it's, it's not worth doing any studying or to do very shallow studying and vote in an ignorant way. Mm-hmm. Both of these things are bad. It, it, now, there are people, of course, who are very interested in politics and they have this, you know, the, it's, uh, they, they sort of derive this personal value from studying the political system. That's absolutely fantastic, but this is not the majority of people and we, we know that, right? right. Uh, so that's kind of the first problem with democracy. Being an informed voter is a public good um, and that kind of sucks. So the rational incentive is to be ignorant. Voters are rationally ignorant. Uh, the next problem is that in a democratic system, Kind of building on the rational ignorance, uh, voters are rationally ignorant, except when they aren't, uh, which is sort of the idea of like, uh, there are some things that voters care a lot about, right? So, uh, for example, if you think of like, uh, like, uh, subsidies, uh, to, to a company or, or maybe like a crop subsidy, right? So, so the 10 cents a year that you pay in additional taxes, um, is probably not worth finding out about the 10 cents, or it's probably not worth media outlets letting you know about that 10 extra cents, about these subsidies that are taking away 10 cents a year from you. But if you're one of the people on the other side of that, right, who's getting a lot of money from the fact that people are taxed 10 cents individually, you have a lot of incentive to spread misinformation, uh, to know what's going on, right, uh, and, and to do whatever you can to keep that in place. And so you probably, not only will you vote, but you'll probably try to steer what's available to other voters as a result of this. Mm. So voters are rationally ignorant in general. Um, you have reason to expect voters to not be rational, rationally, um, to be rationally self-interested in voting on particular issues, but then you have to worry about malevolent intentions in those cases. Um, I think that's it for just direct democracy. So let's let's transition to republics. I might I might come back and add something else to direct democracy. So so now focusing on representative republics. I already kind of told you the principle of. Um, I, I basically assume that proportional to the potential business value of the office, you should expect a, uh, a, a proportionally malevolent candidate to fulfill it. Um, and the reason I say that is that uh, suppose there was some benevolent um, candidate. Well, you know, assuming that the office can be used for malevolence, there's probably some people who are willing to pay, right, to pay off that candidate. And as a result, he will not be able to compete with the candidates that were paid off, that accepted the bribe during the electoral process. Mm-hmm. So, again, not not for every – people take this to extremes and they're like, oh, so are you saying that all candidates are evil? No. Um, actually, 
Another really interesting property of the system is it's worth noting that, um, I mean, you know, rhetoric is a skill. The candidates could be bought off in sort of indirect ways, right? And and they could be convinced, uh, you know, with, with misinformation to believe that they're actually doing the right thing. It doesn't even have to be that the candidate is intentionally evil. Uh, it's just this general point that if there is a potential for malevolent control of a particular office, you expect those people to have already basically... Uh, by whatever means ensured that any candidate that you get to pick from is already on their side. Which is why I don't think we see a lot of similarities in the two-party system, or it's at least one of the factors. Um, the next thing that's uh, that's worth pointing out is... And, uh, why, why, I'm sorry, I missed that last yeah. point. So, the, so why we don't see similarities in the two-party system? Or I'm sorry, I, why we see a lot of similarities. Oh, we don't yeah. see differences. Yeah, I, yeah. I may have said it backwards. Right, right. right we don't but, see a lot of... Uh, you know, again, we argue about abortion and gay rights and yeah. somehow, regardless of the political affiliation of the candidate, government spending rises, yeah. right? And taxes rise. It's like, it's a miracle. I think like, they take fine yeah. points and sure. they stake out positions on both sides of that. Sure. And right. then we, you know, we... Political we get, rhetoric is... We get sick of the Republicans and we vote the Democrats in. Then we get sick of the Democrats and we vote the Republicans in. And they're always all the while, change. be assured that the sufficient... You know, <laughs> to the extent that the office can be used for malevolence, there's economic incentive for those actors to have already ensured that regardless of the candidate you pick, they're going to come out ahead at least in the long run. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, right. Which goes yeah. back to your 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 point about ignorance. I mean, it's it's very hard as a voter, yeah. to really understand these issues. And it's really hard, I think, as a legislator to understand the complexity of oh, complicated yeah. financial situations or the, the Keystone XL pipeline and sure. whatever the, yeah, you know. The, and so most legislation, my, my understanding is most legislation is, is written by uh, the lobbyists. Yeah. And yeah, sure. a lot of times the representative uh, folks haven't even read the dang thing. And uh, uh yeah. You know, especially with things like the healthcare where, you know, the, the running yeah. joke, it's just a running joke that, oh, yeah, we'll have to pass this bill so that we can read it and find out what's in the thing. This could be a whole other podcast. So I won't go. I, I, I will just scratch the surface and, and we don't have to go into this. But the whole net neutrality thing, that's certainly a consideration that you'd have to make. I have a, an interesting position on net neutrality, but you have to think like, uh, do you, I mean, God, the Internet is a series of tubes. Do you think that <laughs> the congressmen are going to be writing this legislation? Right? I mean, who's who's holding the offices at the FCC? Right? Who's going to be making these regulatory calls? And especially when we're talking about reclassifying the 1939 telecommunication uh, law, and we're really talking about how are we going to broadly interpret this? Right. <laughs> we should be very concerned about the people who are going to hold those positions. Yeah. Just just a point. Just something to add to the discourse. Right. Um, but Sorry. I didn't certainly not something. No, 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 no. I just I just want to point derail it out. your train. Yeah. No. I I you know I have a very short train and oh, okay. <laughs> the tracks are actually like oh. a series of toothpicks that I put on the ground. So it's yeah. uh, the last thing I wrote down hard. was representative republic. So in the, the the problems in specifically around a representative republic. Yeah, so I talked about sort of the direct democracy, which also applied to representative republics. Right. But so yeah. when you when you, you you try to solve some of these problems, uh, of, so specifically, usually the argument that's made for a representative republic is like, well, yeah, you're right. Voters are rationally ignorant. That's why they pick a representative to right. make the day to day decisions. Or but that doesn't solve the problem. Right. My my point is that doesn't actually solve the first two problems, right. but it actually introduces other another problem, which is that while you know what I mean? An individual. It'd be harder to buy off an individual who a law directly affects. It's much easier to buy off the proxy that's representing that individual who the law may not directly affect. And you expect oh. to the proportion that the office is to the proportion that the office can be used to this extent, uh, those malevolent people to have already purchased the candidate right. before the individual gets to pick. That that was my first criticism right. of the republic. G given that, yeah, yeah, given that it takes millions of dollars to run for any office. 
It, oh, yeah, it's only... I would argue that it would be true, even if that wasn't the case, but it's certainly only exacerbated by the fact that... Um, and forget the fact that people have to... Sorry. Yeah. I'm gonna just take a, do a quick stretch here. Yeah. Um, so they, they told me I'm supposed to get 10 seconds of silence, actually, because it'll it'll hear the uh, air conditioner or the heater. Oh, so this is a good time. And then I can filter that out as doing the noise reduction. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so everyone be quiet for 10 seconds. This is going to be great. Ready? This, this is fascinating podcasting. Oh, wow, look at that. Did you see how high those levels are? Yeah. The levels are really high even when we're not. Dear Lord. So all that is background noise. But the, so I, I've worked with the noise reduction. It's, it's really good, actually. Yeah, I've heard pleasant audacity. Is yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to mess with the settings oh, yeah. because it'll just be one track still, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, no, no, no. I, no, no, I think you're good. Levels. You just need to remember that section where it is. Yeah. So you'll have to go back and line. yeah, or you'll have to. Well, you probably have to listen to this whole thing anyway and edit some parts. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna take out whatever you want. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that. I mean, just like I, I don't know. Like there was obviously that moment where your phone rang. Maybe you'd want to take that out. So cursed brothers of mine. Yeah. Were we done stretching or? Sure. Yeah, I'm done stretching. I don't remember what I was saying, though. (laughs) This is the problem with talking with me. So you said you had a list of of toothpicks, a very very specific list of things, right? Right, So we went through direct democracy, went through Republican, or sorry, representative. Right, representative republic. And that doesn't solve the problem. The monkey patch to democracy to kind of try to make it actually work. Well, but Um, these are not new, are you? I mean, like in, in, in Plato's The Republic, you know, they... They hashed through all this crap hundreds of years ago, right? Like, what what is a good government? And what Plato yeah. came up with was, hey, we're just going to have a bunch of philosophers that rule the place, and that's going to yeah. be better for everybody. <laughs> and yeah. Of course, the philosophers would say that, yeah. right? Yeah, well, well people so, – yeah, yeah, I mean, and this, this comes down to a really, I think, a fundamental uh, – it's part of what makes me so excited about the free market, but it's sort of the idea that – that no idea is so good you have to accept it at gunpoint. And nobody better knows how to maximize your individual self-interest than you, right? Because when we talk about government, what we're talking about is something that's supposed to be acting in the, you know, the collective self-interest, whatever that might be. And I suppose my um, potentially remarkable assertion is that actually the best way to act in the collective self-interest is to have individuals act in their self-interest, since for the most important things, those tend to intersect anyway. And I'm sure we'll get to the tragedy yeah. of the commons yeah. here yeah. anytime. You know, oh, the problem with the commons? Yeah. yeah it's, it's important. It's a very important thing. But I don't want to derail your toothpicks. Yeah. If you still well, had more toothpicks. Oh, to can work. I just – oh, there's more toothpicks. <laughs> this real, I just – because you brought it up in case – because Lord knows. Changing. We'll forget it later. I just want to point out, if you're if you're worried about the problem of the commons, the state is probably one of the worst solutions because you could make the case that the state acts as the commons in, in a lot of ways, at least when you think about what the commons is in terms of, like, individuals having an incentive to take control of it and um, – you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, – and devalue it for other people, right? I mean, the state is something that uh, theoretically people have access to and do want to take control over as well. Yeah. So whether well, or not the state actually, I mean, there'll still be cancer in a free society, as I always say. It's not a perfect solution. It won't solve all problems. But whether or not the state solves the problem of the commons is another interesting discussion. So in, in, in case people don't know, I mean, my understanding of the tragedy of the commons comes from, uh, so there's uh shepherds then they each have right. uh, five sheep yeah. right and they are all grazing there, there's five yeah. there's five shepherds with five sheep each and they all share a common grazing mm-hmm. pattern and the problem with the tragedy the problem of the tragedy of the commons is that each individual shepherd is motivated to have more sheep because he'll make more money with more sheep and that's great the problem is that if every individual shepherd gets more sheep then all the grass dies and all the sheep die and everyone's worse off 
And so my understanding of the tragedy of the commons is this uh, phenomenon of a problem where uh, if everyone acts in their own individual self-interest, that actually everyone gets hurt. And this is a problem. I'm, yeah. I'm just I'm curious how. Yeah, it's directly if there is no government the that is theoretically yeah. because the government theoretically right now our government is theoretically uh, mitigating, yeah. keeping these things in check, right? So yeah, by sure. yeah, well, by keeping water drinkable, by keeping mm-hmm. uh, you know forest fires burning or not burning, whatever the correct forest management technique is nowadays. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, which shifts. We, we'd have to have a whole section yeah. on pollution because because <laughs> yeah. that's a so so the general so I just want carbon, to point out carbon that. total carbon footprint, yeah, global warming, yeah, I mean all of these things yeah. that theoretically there's one central agency mm-hmm. like the EPA or whatever yeah. that can can't protect be the commons yeah, that can protect the completely keeping that's track the idea. of all of that because it's not subject so in, to the same incentives as the, the shepherds. Yeah, theoretically. <laughs> right. Yeah, so because the, the shepherds can't state. possibly have composed this entity. So how does how does the how does anarchy handle the, the, yeah. the our shepherd problem? Uh, so the first thing I want to point out is uh, let's address it generally, and then I can try to address specific instances. So so generally speaking, uh, the, the problem is directly analogous to the state in at least two ways. So way number one is the shepherds could be a part of the state. This is probably the most obvious thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if a shepherd becomes a part of the state, well, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you have shepherds within the state fighting and you have the exact same problem except it's moved up a level. Um, it, I, I think there is a problem of commons even within the state that comes from the idea of how funding will be provisioned, right? So it, uh, each each branch or each program has incentive to try to get as much funding as possible. But, of course, in order to secure this funding, either taxes have to be raised or you could argue more money um, – I, I hate to use the word printed – more money has to be borrowed or the currency uh, supply has to be inflated, both of which, when done to excess – uh, negatively impact economic production uh, and therefore decrease the total amount of taxes coming in. That's one of the problems. With, I mean, if you look at sort of the, the EU thing uh, with, with Greece, one of the problems you have is, is that, um, you know, if, if Greece raises taxes, that will stifle economic productivity almost certainly, and then they'll have less tax revenue. You could argue that actually raising taxes would result in lower overall revenue because it would have such a negative effect on the economy. So it's it's not always as simple as it looks. I, I mean, when we're talking about like especially taxation and inflating the currency supply, the state controls one of the most important resources that we have, and that is our ability to trade. <laughs> <laughs> and when people start chipping away at that, you have a pretty big problem with the commons. I would argue uh, a much bigger problem than a pasture. So if I live on the Missouri River, which I happen to live on, okay, and it turns out in <laughs> so, Sioux City, yeah, Sioux City, Iowa, they start dumping toxins mm-hmm. yeah. in the in the river. Uh, but we're living in an anarchist yeah. situation. What do I do? Do I hire yeah. the Pinkmans to go shoot the yeah, people in gonna... Sioux City, or what do <laughs> yeah. I do? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, great question. Uh, so, so part of the problem with the word pollution is that it means so many different things in different contexts that, like everything, I say I'm going to have to address it in six parts. Just kidding. Only three. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so the first kind of pollution, uh, which is probably – you're kind of talking about a hybrid of two. But let me start with simple cases, then we can talk about the hybrid situations. Oh, really? So, so yeah. So, like, so the, the easiest case of pollution – um, it is probably like you have Bertha, right? And she has a house and somebody builds a factory next to her house and they start like, you know, they could be dumping toxic waste on her land or, or maybe they're just putting soot in the air and the soot is going onto her laundry. We'll go with that because that's, that's slightly less dramatic. You know what I mean? So the soot is going onto her laundry. They're dumping toxic slug, but they're doing something that's devaluing her property. Yeah. I would argue that this case is built into our notion of property and arbitration. 
right? So how do we decide how, you know what I mean? When you smoke a cigarette, you're, you're technically, you know, polluting, right? I mean, you're putting smoke into the air. So, so can I halfway across the city go, you know, you're smoking a cigarette. The particles are diffusing. There's at least a risk that one of them will get on my property. I really don't think you should be able to smoke that cigarette. And of course, the majority of people will go, no, that's absurd. Where does that actually get resolved? It depends on the situation. It depends on a lot of things in the region. Uh, and so I would argue that's solved by the, the market system in the form of arbitration uh, and enforcement, at least in that simple case. Sort of the next case up would be um, sort of like uh, like uh, like global warming, where you have a situation where the, the, the one person can pollute and the overall effects are so far distributed that no one actor has incentive to, you know what I mean, to, to try to try to prosecute it. Uh, you kind of see what I'm saying, right? So like, so like in the case of global warming, you probably aren't that directly affected by global warming or you don't, you know what I mean? If it came down to you have to pay somebody to prosecute somebody based on global warming, that's not going to be very much. It, it's certainly, you're probably not going to want to pay as much as the person who's actively polluting the planet, right? Yeah. And making a lot of money doing it. But I'm not trying to suggest that we've yeah. got a good handle on global warming because oh, no, we no, have our no, current of course, governmental of course. system. I'm just, I'm just we don't. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out this whole arbitration thing in, yeah, no, in, no. in a context where... Oh, I'm planning, like, I'm planning to address it. Don't oh, worry. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. bringing up the situation so that I can, I can address Excellent. Uh, how it would be handled. <laughs> Yeah, so, so my, my view of this situation is uh, horrible. Uh, it, it really, it, it's not as bad as it sounds. I'll is this try my to river make it. scenario? What's up? Is this my river scenario where they're poisoning the river and it's coming downstream? And your that's river, I think your river scenario could be viewed as either one. I think it would be totally reasonable in that situation that you or your neighbors or if you own like lakefront property, part of, well, it, one of two things is true. Either A, you, you part of your ownership is you own a right to the, the pure water in that area. And, um, of course, that right comes from social consensus with you having that right, which is reflected in the market system through arbitration and rights enforcement. Or, alternatively, uh, it... it um, it could be the second category, which is maybe they're polluting it in a way that, that you know what I mean, it, it is much more slowly acting and you're bothered by it, but people are like, eh, we're not really going to prosecute that. So so I could I could see it as being either one of the cases, probably more the first case that I talked about. So I would imagine that you would have an insurance on uh, maybe maybe the purity of your water, or collectively as a neighborhood, you might get insurance on the purity of your water. It could be something that was sold to you when you bought your house. I mean, if we want to make this a little bit more realistic. But if it's the first time that this, this has ever happened, right, then I don't have insurance because I, you know, this has never occurred before. Right, and so, and so then you're appealing to you're appealing to the the. Um, so so there's there's very few things in life, but especially in law that are clear cut, right? Like what, a, what exactly is well, like how it would work yeah. right now? Like yeah. I don't have insurance because it's never happened before, Sure, but there's a national court system and everything that we're talking about right now is in the, the confines of the lower 48 States. And so there's a court system that I can go to and I can sue uh, the people in Sioux city to stop dumping the stuff in the river, right? That's how sure. it would work currently. But yeah. in an anarchist system, what I'm questioning is since there is no, necessarily national level anything yeah right yeah then for the first time that it's ever happened how do we ever resolve this thing i mean we can send emissaries up there and just say hey be nice but <laughs> wow the future and i can't dismiss a call <laughs> sorry oh is your, is your wrist call. ringing <laughs> yeah my wrist was ringing <laughs> nice. wait hold on Fancy. What kind of watch is that? It's the Moto 360. Actually, I should reply now. It's my boyfriend. He'll get mad at me. Oh, that's fine. Moto 360? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one with the flat tire on the bottom. 
cool. But uh, I, I like it a lot. I like it a yeah, lot. I'll call my brother back while we're. Yeah, we, you know, we, whenever we're. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're, so in that case, you're, you're completely falling into the first category. Um, I would, uh, I would defer to the Shiahoga River. I don't know if you know this, but it was, it was, uh, it was a, or no, I'm sorry, the Shiahoga Lake. No, it was a river. I guess it was like a region of a river. Is this the one that was on fire? Yes, yes, you've heard of it. It's the one's yeah. on fire. It, it's one of the things that's cited in like, don't you see, this is why we need the EPA. EPA right. And one yeah. of the things, uh, not a lot of people realize this, but there was an existing state regulatory agency already there that was deemed inadequate. Um, and the reason it was deemed inadequate is because the companies that were polluting to the point <laughs> where the lake was on fire, right, had permission to do so. Yeah. Right? Because they bought off the state. Uh, and, and so, um, so what, what am I saying? What am I getting at? Well, but there's a national government then through which right. you can address yeah, this. Yeah, so thing. you take it up another level. Right. <laughs> right, because, well, clearly at this level it can't be purchased, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, um, so, well, yeah. Let me throw a hypothesis at you. Were, were you done with your toothpicks or? Where I didn't want no. to interrupt the Oh, God, no. I'm nowhere near oh, done okay. with the toothpicks. <laughs> I didn't know if this was a <laughs> no. Very no, we're on, we're on a side thing. Like, how do you deal with pollution? And we're only in part one of three. <laughs> yeah, so let me give you a yeah. hypothesis. Yeah. So here's my, so my hypothesis is that as more, that you can have, you, you don't need uh, regional and national governments. You don't need all of these levels of organization and all these, you know, hierarchical systems, uh, as long as the, the numbers of people that we're talking about are relatively small and the, the, the amount of tension between them as far as, you know, who's upset with who about whatever is small, right? Like if you, if you have very diverse or, or sorry, diffuse, if you have very diffuse populations that are out on their own ranches doing their own thing, then you can get away with a lot less government sure. than if you have, you know, 10 million people living right. in a very small city. Right. And so as a natural consequence, these systems pop into existence of these, these yeah. governmental systems that right. can, so in an, yeah. in an anarchic those, those situation. Those market forces would guide arbitration and uh, personal protection. That's actually a case you could make for like, you know, how much, whatever people mean by the size of government, uh, whatever the answer to that question is, I would argue it should be done by market forces. Cause you're absolutely right. In sparsely populated areas, you might not have as much rational self-interest behind having arbitration that knows specifically how to allocate water. You know so what there, I mean? So in a big city context, there mm -hmm. would still be some kind of a city level thing that can figure out why your, your power's out, probably. And well, I know you don't I, know I, this. I would, I would tend to believe there would be, there would be multiple. There'd be multiple, and, and that's okay. important. That there would be multiple competing agencies to do these. And that's things. more efficient somehow because, like, I'm like when it comes to healthcare, I'm yeah. all like for single payer because yeah. I think what's happening right now in our in our, uh, in our health insurance is that we're wasting huge percentages sure. of the money that's oh, going yeah. into this whole network of arguing about who pays who for what and all this crap. Yeah. Oh no. When, you're absolutely if we right. just had single payer, that would be so much more efficient, right? I think we I, had I this agree conversation that last yeah, year. Yeah, no, no. Too. When we're talking about the, the current system versus single payer, I, I would actually give the non libertarian answer or go with the single payer to solve the problem. But so <laughs> But this, I do that, think there is a more preferable configuration. Yeah. That seems to argue for let's have a city government and that city government mm -hmm. can be efficient and there's only one of them and there you go. Doesn't that argue for that? No, because the city government is is uh, is very corruptible. I think the long a single payer solution might be more preferable to the current configuration when we consider American so politics and the situation that we're in. But in the long run, I think it would be better to. I don't want to say go back to a free <laughs> market thing because when I say back, I don't mean like like 2008 back. I mean like 1950s back. But if the city government so, is corrupt, then what's supposed to happen is those damn voters are supposed to get educated and they're supposed to vote out the corrupt people and get good people in there. But what you'll find is... I, is I know they the, won't. Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
I know, I know. I, okay, so hold on. So let me, it's let, not let's democracy's just, fault. I know, it sucks. there's so many complicated issues. I'm just, I, God, if, if we thought net neutrality is a big deal, let's not go into healthcare. But like, <laughs> I, I just want to point out that, that for a period of time, there were these things in the United States called friendly societies that became illegal. Um, and, and what? so, yeah, what? they are, they were illegal because they were, yeah, they were, they were considered, well, so, People, this is like one of those things. Clubs? So what are these things? Yeah. So, so basically they're, let, let's talk about, okay. So <laughs> when we look at the, like, like what do I think is wrong with the healthcare system? I completely agree with you, yeah. but I don't think the problem is a centralized agency that, um, that helps allocate, you know, the healthcare resources, hopefully fairly and evenly. I look at the individual actors and go, okay, people don't know how much things cost. That's a really big problem, yeah, yeah. right? People just have insurance. And, like, I mean, when people don't know about price, the market system doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> like, so the- like, I mean, that's just the thing. Like, you need prices for markets. That's the whole case for efficiency on the market. So we ask the question, why don't people know about prices? And the answer is, well, you know, they've got insurance and they don't care as much. I mean, as long as you've got the golden ticket of insurance, you're good to go. And God forbid you get a pre-existing condition and can't get that golden ticket because then you're going to find out about these prices that have been being arbitrarily manipulated. And guess what? They were going in the upward direction, yeah. right? Uh, and so how, how did we – so you might ask, well, how did we arrive at this, this particular configuration? And um, I believe the answer is primarily state intervention, not surprisingly. Um, so there were these things called friendly societies once upon a time. And basically the way it worked was is that uh, you would have a group of people who would voluntarily get together and hire a doctor like full time just to serve those people. Now, it could be the case that that doctor who, again, not being paid by an insurance company, just hired by the, this group of people like they pay them every month regardless of whether or not they use them. Uh, may not be able to deal with some kind of specialized condition, in which case the group as a whole could have some kind of something that's roughly analogous to insurance where they would maybe pay to have a specialist look. But being a member of this group also meant you had to adhere, and this is why they were illegal, to certain policies, right? So most of them were Christian-oriented. There were several of them that were racist, but they don't have to be. They could. They, they also had policies like you need to not smoke if you want to be a member of this group. You need to, you know, exercise in this way or not do this thing. So it's unfortunate fortunate that they were racist at the time. We could talk about why I don't think that would be the case now. A lot of it has to do with our, our, our social evolution. But I actually think that this is the better way to do it. That so what the market wanted to do initially before those were made illegal um, is much more preferable to the, the, the current insurance debacle. And that's why the market wanted to do it initially. Yeah. So these friendly yeah. societies were mm-hmm. specifically about healthcare, and they were doctors. They, they, were, they were they were a variety of things put together. So it, oh, could, it could have to do, it, it, but they don't have to be. But as they existed, they they usually had some church mixed in there, yeah. right? There were rules about who could join and who couldn't join. Join again. Several of them were racist. So the history is, of this thing, though, is that they, these things became illegal. They became outlawed because of the the racist tendencies of them, not because of the structure. Of the the healthcare system, not the communal aspect of it, but they got be, that, because racial tendencies were one of the things. There was also some uh, there was some concern that I, I know this is hard to believe in our current system that doctors weren't getting paid um, enough. That you would have this. But why wouldn't that doctor just leave then if he didn't like it? Right. I exactly. See, you understand how oh, I think. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I, know. I know. See, I you get it. No, but at the time there was concern that like you know you have Doctor Quack. 
right, who comes through and, uh, you know what I mean, becomes one of these, uh, becomes a part of this friendly society uh, and is and is duping people for a lower price than another doctor and these people don't really have a way to know about yeah, it. Yeah, but if he's a quack, why don't they fire him? I don't understand the, why. Well, because they don't know. They, they aren't educated him. about medical science. I agree with you. I think the market can figure this out. I think consumer reporting can figure it out. But this is also uh, the American Medical Association was a part of this whole thing too. Oh, okay. And, and, and so, yeah, so this, what we have is the current situation where we have the government licensing doctors and controlling yeah. who can be a doctor, yeah, yeah. right? And I, I would argue, in a lot of ways, artificially, you know what I mean, R- restricting the market. It's questionable, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's, it's questionable whether or not everybody needs access to a full-blown doctor, at least for the, the majority of their concerns, right? Like, could, could a nurse handle uh, at least the initial diagnosis part or going, oh, whoa, hold on, I don't know what this rash is. Now we need to get you to a doctor. Not saying hospitals don't do that now, but the role of the American Medical Association as a top-down thing might not be the best way to do it. The market might be able to find more efficient configurations. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. just my so, point. Yeah. So I, I, but the healthcare thing is just such a right. big <laughs> issue. It's hard to, I mean, we haven't even <laughs> enumerated be concerns two. for the state. But, yeah. uh, but I guess my, my short answer is I agree with you in the current system. My long answer is I, I, I disagree with the principles for why you would maybe answer with this, the short term solution that would work better. Um, I, I think that there is a better, not centrally coercive solution. We just, uh, need to do it. But isn't that how it always goes? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so back to so, your, so back to your point about the the the, the city. Um, the, this this actually here we go. This actually ties into a, a, an important question. Uh, so when I'm when I'm talking about free market anything or just market, I'm sorry, pardon me. When I'm talking about market things with anybody, one of the big words that comes up is uh, either oligopoly, monopoly, cartel, and uh, they're they're really uh, concerning terms to me uh, because monopoly. Uh, while it does, in certain contexts, have a very precise definition, in like normal discourse, it seems to mean whatever it needs to mean to make the person's argument work. I'll explain what I mean. Like, uh, I have a monopoly over these glasses in this room, right? You know what I mean? I have a monopoly over this chair. <laughs> and, and so you can see how this can kind of be expanded out or in as far as you want. And so when I hear the word monopoly, it's like, eh, what do you mean by it exactly? Uh, so in, in my very, uh, admittedly, probably narrow-minded view, there's, there's basically two options. There, well, let me say it like this. There, there can actually be efficient configurations uh, where there's a monopoly. Uh, for example, there's a monopoly on, um, you know what I mean, on Walmarts within five meters of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's just not worth it to open up another store there. As it happens, the, uh, you know what I mean, it, it, there's not market forces to open it up there. Monopolies aren't inherently bad. So you're right. They're, they're, for reasons that I don't completely understand, it could be the case that in a particular city, it turns out that the most efficient way to do things is to have maybe one defense agency for the whole city. I think that's a very dubious claim. or And it gets more dubious as you say, like, one defense agency for all of these forms of defense, one arbitration agency for all of these forms of arbitration. I don't think that's at all likely to happen, but even if we grant that it is. Um, they're, they're still very heavily restricted by market forces as to what they can do. Because, of course, if they do a sufficiently bad job... Um, you have two options. So you have option number one, which is sort of direct competition, right? It could be that they're just so bad at arbitration that other people come in and start arbitrating. In the case of arbitration, that's uh, it, arbitration. It, it, it could be, but like if we're talking about defense, 
Um, again, it could be. If they're both put together into the same thing, it's probably not as likely for the same reason that the state doesn't uh, it doesn't work that well in this area. Uh, but what I think does apply is sort of this idea of dynamic competition, which is that, um, you know what I mean, somebody has a monopoly on apple juice, so they raise the price to $100 a bottle. What do you do? You buy orange juice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's sort of this idea that, like, there's it's really, really, really hard to get a monopoly over something that there isn't a reasonable substitute at a lower price if you really start jacking up the price. So not only do you have to worry about people competing with you, not only do you have to worry about people innovating in a way that competes with you, you actually have to worry about, like, substitutions. And there's, there's very few things that you can't make substitutions for. Well, I think the concern about monopoly is not that just naturally these things will happen and not, and I don't I don't think all monopolies are bad but when it comes to like antitrust and having to break up uh bad actors like if you have if you have actors in the market who are dominating a market and then they won't allow other people into the market you, because they're using me, their This is important can you explain to me how a um, a monopoly would 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 not allow so like you're talking like price work kind of like what we got going on with gas north american shale opec they lower the price to try to decrease the incentive to enter the market at times when somebody's entering and then when they don't enter they raise the price that kind of thing i guess so i don't know how oh. i don't know what antitrust is actually trying to break up i suppose yeah a, yeah well, price. It, well it's trying to i i mean so again this is what's very concerning to me the fact that the term monopoly is so imprecise concerns me even more because it gives somebody license to interpretation. Like, yeah, what yeah. are we actually giving regulatory powers to do? <laughs> well, to, they, you know, no, they so, break up trusts. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I get together with my friend and we both, you know what I mean, own the only house for six miles. Does that mean we have to turn it into a hotel? I don't know. Um, I, I, I mean... Uh, no, it's, so, it's, it's a good, I mean, I'd have to I, go back to the history of, like, yeah. antitrust breakups yeah. and try to figure out, well, which of these things yeah, uh, I mean, work. Be- so, because so many times I, I look at I look at laws that are fixing things, and yeah. I'm like, you know, the reason there that the laws have to fix those things are that the problems were caused by the laws that allowed those, you know, and so every time you stack more laws into things, people just find better loopholes, and the richer people find better loopholes than the other greater, people yeah, because they, they have more influence over the, yeah. and they're writing the laws for oh, our yeah. representatives. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I, just, I completely agree with you. Uh, it, you know, the, 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 there, there's several examples that I, don't I know that not I having government fixes a lot of them. Yeah. But anyway, and, I'm, well, but, but, and you're uh, not saying it's a panacea. I, I'm not saying, not I'm not saying it fixes all the problems. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it fixes all the problems. I'm saying yeah. I think it exacerbates them. That's my only point. So what government you said, did, yeah, I'm saying, I'm just saying I think it either keeps them the same or exacerbates them and that overall the government is less efficient than this other socioeconomic configuration for which I'm advocating, obviously. So I'm advocating it. Well, and you told um, me, you also told yeah. me that this is jumping to the <laughs> conclusion. I thought it was fascinating because I, I talk to people who, who have ideas about how things should be better. And then I'm like, well, if you could wave a magic wand and boom, it's just in place. Would you do that? And most people yeah. would I'm like, not no, do that. God, we need like, <laughs> uh, yeah, what I want to happen and how we actually get there are two completely different questions. Do necessarily. You, would you necessarily. see that as a, a possibility? Well, like, would it be possible if enough people, so well, let's talk about the Free States Project. We haven't even talked about that. We haven't even enumerated criticisms of the current state. Man. Oh, we go are ahead. Just, we, are on go the, ahead. we are on the rabbit trail. <laughs> um, I, you know, the Free State Project, um, <laughs> It could work. I mean, it really could work. Uh, what is it? Tell me. Oh, tell me oh what, yeah. I, I think okay. I know. Is it 30,000 people? They try to get yeah, 30,000 people yeah. to move there. 
Yeah. And then the it's idea is what's going to happen? There's, there's two strategies in libertarianism. Uh, strategy number one is you <laughs> you say no one is a libertarian except for you, basically, right? It's the no true Scotsman thing because nobody's quite right. Except me. Yeah, yeah. And then strategy number two is exactly the opposite. You want to appear like you actually have a chance at like political movements. So you're like, oh, yeah, that's a libertarian. <laughs> like, look, <laughs> who am I to say what a libertarian is? Yeah. The Free State Project falls into the latter category. So, yeah, you have a group of libertarian <laughs> identifying people. <laughs> that are... Physically not even 30,000 of them. Yeah, not even 30,000. But they are, but they are physically picking up their lives and moving to New Hampshire, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I think the goal is 20,000 and they've recently passed like 17,000 after like 10 years of trying. Yeah, and this is like broadly defined libertarian. Does that, does that appeal to you? It does. It, well, it appealed to me a lot more before. And, and I'll kind before, of explain. Before July? Before I realized <laughs> oh, the flaws. <laughs> no, this is the problem. I'm inherently a critic. Um, I have I have no solution. I do I like to have solutions, but I have lots of criticisms too. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah. So so the deal with the Free State Project. So particularly in Keene, New Hampshire, um, actually shortly after I became an anarcho-capitalist, I was like, oh my god, because you have to understand, I was I mean I was libertarian leaning before this, like, yeah. and it just it was always like, oh, but then like somebody will like the state will do this, and maybe if you just like tried to. Because I was back at, like, how can we tweak democracy? Maybe if instead of first past the poll, we do, like, immediate runoff voting. And, like, you're trying to, like, come up with all these elaborate things. Or maybe, like, if you, you make people answer, like, like questions about the candidates before their vote for that particular office counts to, like, you know, only have informed voters do it. Yeah. like, oh, but what if people, like, yeah, you know, get paid off to just answer the questions correctly? And so it's, like, this endless battle of you're just you're, – the, the patient is dead on the table, and it's a bad medical drama. You have the paddles. <laughs> And so when I heard about anarcho-capitalism, I was like, oh, my God, finally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this seems like it could actually work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in like, New Hampshire, like, literally yeah. in 2015. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I was like, like, sign me up. And so I, I Googled for it, and there's a place you can sign up. It's called the Free State Project. Specifically inside of Keene, New Hampshire, anarcho-capitalists are grouping together and systematically holding public office in order to ensure that it doesn't do anything. Oh. And this is actually the place where they do have a couple of competing rights enforcement agencies. Oh, so um, there's, a, there's a charter for the town, and what's no, happening... It, it, well, what do you mean by charter? Oh, no. So, okay, no, be- they're, before they're they were involved, control. There, yeah. it was a tradi- traditional, quote, air quotes, traditional, before they got there, right? So you're, what you're telling me is they got elected in a public office so they, they could make the public office disintegrate, so they could yes. disband... Yeah. The, yeah. the governmental institutions. Like, unfortunately, there, much right? of the dismay of the original residents, which we could talk about that, yeah. most of them have left <laughs> at this point sure because, like, <laughs> all the crazies <laughs> move into town and start <laughs> systematically <laughs> taking apart your government. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've, uh, I mean, God, they've, they've succeeded in taking all public offices and I think they made the salary like a dollar a year or something. So do they have arbitration and enforcement? Do they have they arbitration have already exists, um, uh, all over the place? I, I just the other day when I signed up for T-Mobile, I switched cell phone providers at the bottom of the terms of service. It says you agree that this contract will be arbitrated by this company. So arbitration has already existed. They do have private security exists like with mall cops, but there, yeah, they actually have like, like, uh, Lookout is the name of an app I have on my phone that protects it from like viruses. It's Android. So it's not Lookout. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Uh, I happen to know the name of one of them. It'll come to me. It's Uh, like Lookout. But uh, yeah, they have a, they have a private security company there. Um, that just does like, uh, I, I guess it's like, it's kind of like theft insurance. Like you can call them and they'll protect your property. If you can demonstrate that it's yours, you like, you know, you take pictures of your property. Um, are they happy? The people that are there? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have, but we're talking about a really small subset of people that like this kind of thing. Like, yeah. keep that in mind. Like, it's yeah. not like it's like we've tried it there and all the statists were convinced that this was the better way. Um, it, you know, it's definitely a new idea. There's really only two, which is, I, I would, is not nearly enough to build a society on. But I mean, again, it's a pretty small town, so that's maybe a natural oligopoly. Um, any hoodle, what am I, what am I even saying? Oh, so I'm saying we're, we're kind of starting to see, uh, see these things work to a certain extent. Uh, it, it's worth noting when we're talking about privatizing police specifically, um, and I can't believe I didn't bring this up way, way back when we were talking about this, uh, but I, I, I just want to point out, for what the police does now, I tend to think that that can actually be privatized for a very low cost. Because when you think about like, uh, when you think about like what the police actually do to defend you in any given situation, the most protection you have is your threat to call them and hope that like in 10 minutes they get there and stop whatever's going on. So if it can happen in less than 10 minutes without leaving that much of a trace, eh, you, you know what I mean? They aren't that helpful, realistically. And this is an important, uh, consideration. Uh, it's worth noting, I used to know the number, but I don't remember it right now, that the, the, suffice to say, most homicides go unsolved, actually. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, as good friends, I mean, we're making incredible strides in forensic science, but it's just, it's still really hard to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if somebody's smart about the way that they kill somebody, if, they're, if they really want to kill somebody and they premeditate it, there's just not a lot you can uh, do. And this this reinforces my uh, my original claim. What's actually keeping you safe right now isn't the threat of the state. It's the Nash equilibrium around nonviolence. That is that generally the cost of violence is more expensive than the expected benefit that somebody has in killing you. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's probably easier just to make deals with you or at least to, to, to maybe do, uh, you know, threaten you or, or something. I, I don't know. Like there's, there's lesser things. So what, so yeah. sorry if I'm derailing you, but what, no, what turned I you against myself. the, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> against <laughs> the free state. So you were super excited about free states project I last year. I, I don't think it's going to happen. And you became yeah. not excited about it. Yeah. So what changed? Um, so I started thinking. I'm just kidding. That's a really, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, uh, so let me, let me try to sell it like this. So the thing you have to consider. <laughs> Uh, is that the the state has invested a lot of resources in building New Hampshire in general, but even in Keene, New Hampshire, right? Like there's uh, like, like like there's there's existing roads, there's oh, existing yeah. houses. It's Utilities. landlocked. It's yeah, not yeah. really if they got all of New Hampshire, it wouldn't be landlocked. But like I mean, if it's just like Keene, New Hampshire, yeah, we're yeah. going anarchist. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're landlocked by the United States. Uh, I think you have the problem uh, that. You know what I mean? If you were going to, let's say I want to, it's the problem of like the land is too valuable. Like realistically, there's already existing state infrastructure that as we just acknowledged is better, is a lot better than other parts of the world. It's just not the right place to do it. I'm one of those people who thinks that we should either get an uninhabited island or like let's go to Somalia and try to figure this shit out. Like, let's take some of the technology that I, I claim makes this possible, get a group of people together, go to Somalia, and actually try to set it up. Well, I Somalia, think we just need some decent infrastructure, and we could get the whole thing going, and the market will figure everything out. Like, uh, So, so I'm, I'm I mean, in that when, category when, of thought. In most rural places where the, the, where the population is very low, mm -hmm. you basically have no government anyway, right? Because the governmental actors that would show up aren't going to show up for hours or days. Well, right? yeah. And so they're basically get along. So this gets into along. another problem. Yeah. Um, I don't claim to know the, 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 the proper way by which property should be appropriated. I used to, but now I don't. Uh, but I think it's intuitive to most people that, um, whoever's using it should. Right. It. Yeah. Probably that, that is one of those intuitive <laughs> things. But also like, like if you go to something that's 
obviously not in use, beyond a reasonable doubt. And or let's just go not in use. Let's just leave reasonable doubt out of this. Assume you have perfect knowledge. You go somewhere, something is just not in use, and you like you you take the sticks that are laying on the ground and you build a little hut yeah. and you you know what I mean you invest resources. I I hesitate to use the metaphor you mix the labor with the land because it's so Lockean property rights are so cliche in libertarian thought. But <laughs> like but I mean you know what I mean most people go, okay, it would be wrong for somebody to come along and burn down your hut for no other reason, right? Like that's mean. That's aggression. Like clearly you have a claim or at least a higher claim to your hut than the random person passing through wanted to burn it down after all. You mixed your labor with the land, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's funny and, that there's maybe 15 people out of the million people that live in the Omaha greater metro area that would consider that a cliche. I think well, you're, yeah, you're, no, more, versed, I think you're more versed on political science than 99 You know, and part of it is I'm, I'm surrounded in the echo chamber of, of people who uh, – well, not no, – are I'm you? kidding. I have three people oh, yeah. <laughs> who agree with me, oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm rolling in <laughs> – in just it's an echo chamber. The man. brain trust. No, that's not true. I suppose I actually live in a world where just about everybody disagrees with me, at least at surface level. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, welcome to Nebraska. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> where am I going with this? I swear to God, I have a point. But yeah. So you okay. turned against. Yeah. No. No. I'm sorry. Because... I'm sorry. Hold on. So, so we're we're getting there. We're getting there. All right. So, so the state. Um, I think that if I said, I own the moon, therefore anybody going to the moon tomorrow is aggressing against me, people would go, okay, that's bullshit. Right, like, like, there's, there's no way you own the moon. Maybe if you built a hut on the moon out of sticks, we could talk about it, but even then this thing is controlling the tides, it's really debatable. But certainly, from the ground, you can't just go, the moon is mine. Right, uh, and this is important because I would argue that the state has essentially done, um, very much of the same thing, right? If you look at what land is actually, so I don't know if you know this, but with about the population density of Omaha, the entire world population uh, can be placed into Texas. Um, now, it's important to know that that's not including the infrastructure required to sustain them, right? So you have to um, you have to take into account, like, like there's a lot of crops that have to be grown in other places to, to feed all of these people. But if we're just talking about, like, population density, like you build every now and then you have a second-story building, you, you could fit all the people in the world into Texas. There's actually a lot of space. And uh, when I did a presentation at Bar Camp, I talked a little bit more about how um, I couldn't do it for the whole world because there's just too much information. But I went to the uh, the uh, United States, um, just the, the, the .gov sites. I can't remember, the Department of Agriculture. I, I think there's the Census Bureau and the Department of Agriculture. And they, they have like some unholy union where for some of this stuff, it's like they do a report that's a combination of both. And they, they kind of come up with like, this is what land is being used for roughly. And if you look at, okay, we're exporting this much, like how much farmland is actually required to sustain the United States population, what you find is a, a slim majority, 51%, is uh, arguably uninhabited and reserved for use by the government. Um, so that be that in the form of national parks, be that in the form of just, uh, there's just large sections of land that the government is like, we may want to use that <laughs> someday. And this gets to a really important thing because when it's, it's the moon, right? If it's me making arbitrary claims about the moon, everybody understands, like, you know, why, why would you have a claim to that? But somehow if it's the state, it's like, oh, well, of course, of course the state would, you know what I mean, have a claim to that. So so another part of the problem uh, yeah, is this idea that, that the a lot of land is claimed. Actually, uh, 
except for Antarctica. And I think there's a couple of islands uh, that are like really small, like sandbar-sized islands yeah. that are technically considered like land. Uh, all land is claimed. And of course, Antarctica, there's, a, there's some treaty, I think, with NATO where basically if you go there, the countries have agreed in advance to declare war on you. So, uh, you but know, I like that. I mean, as a citizen of the United States, I love the fact that we have national parks. I think they're fantastic. And I love the fact that we have so much land set aside in these national forests and et cetera that most people don't use except the ranchers that are out there with their cows and then causing all kinds yeah. of rancor on uh, Fox News. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> By grazing uh, their cattle. <laughs> well, I mean, it's important to, I mean, it's, uh, so this is one of those. Right, so I this look, is, there, there's a place where I this, love this my actually, This actually ties it. into the second category of pollution. I'm glad you brought this up. Like, Because uh, I think it's actually a, I, I know, it's hard, I, you'll find this hard to believe, but it's actually a, a, a calculation problem of how much land there should be set aside for things like national parks and resources. Um, and uh, I, I think that the market is the best way to decide what that is so. So this falls into the second category of pollution, right? So how do we stop people from, like, polluting the whole environment? Global warming is probably the easiest example. Or even doing, like, what you're talking about, like uh, going in and, uh, I don't know, like destroying national monuments that um, – or not national monuments. That would be stupid. Destroying, like, like land for our, our generations, right? There's beauty in nature that our generations need to behold. Yeah. What market force is protecting it? Um well, this gets into the, one of my hobbies is uh, dirt biking, mm-hmm. and so you know I I would love for there to be more land where you can just run around as a citizen. That'd be great because it used to be decades ago before everyone started suing everybody for everything. Uh, everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it used to be that you could. Could it be do that these... the state is subsidizing the cost of arbitration and small claims court a little bit too much? I don't know. Go ahead. No, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I thought it's, this was all private lawsuit stuff in the public court system. That I thought that's how most of it got shut down. So people get, uh, landowners get sued because someone goes on their land and breaks their leg on a dirt bike and then they sue the landowner. And so the landowner's like, well, forget this then. And they shut it off and now you can't go anywhere. So unless you know the landowner. So that's an example where I I feel like, um, the the nature of the, so the other thing to point out, and this is, uh, not quite a criticism, it is a criticism of the current state, but it's worth noting that in the current political system, um, who writes laws? lawyers (laughs) right like i mean you you know what i mean and and so when you when you look at how the legal system works i mean if you're getting paid by the hour there's a lot of incentive to make really complicated uh laws that you need to hire somebody to fix we might ask you know what i mean if you if you had the arbitration if you had arbitration i I suppose it still wouldn't be directly uh subject to the the market forces of individuals because arbitration would probably be because you know you'd probably contract like a defense agency and that defense agency would then contract with arbitration but if you look at what defense agencies are selling, they're actually selling the network of contracts. Uh, part of their product is the network of contracts uh, in, in which they, the, through which they're arbitrating, right, and, and with whom they're arbitrating. So, so sort of indirectly, then th- there's a lot of incentive. Um, consumers don't want to pay for ongoing lengthy disputes. This is actually a. It's worth noting that a priori. I'm, Maybe you have brought this up, uh, but a lot of people bring up right away, you know, there's no reason to expect in the absence of a state uh, libertarian values to be to be held in general. And they're absolutely right. There's there's no reason. The reason I think that libertarian values will happen in the absence of the state is because uh, they, they tend to follow. Libertarian philosophy is built on two uh, key principles, as outlined by Walter Block. Principle number one is there's no conflicting rights. So if you ever run into a situation where in your, 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 like, your system of, of thought where you think, oh, both people have a claim to the same thing, you need to somehow revise your rules so that that's not the case. However you do it, that's that's efficient for arbitration. Um, and the second reason is, 
uh, well, that, I guess that's really the only reason it applies in this case. So, so arbitration no longer has the incentive to take up as much time as it can, right? Because they have to compete with other arbitration agencies. What are you going to do? You have a dispute in the United States, you're going to go to Canada, <laughs> right? If you have competing arbitration agencies or competing defense networks, there's more incentive to try to keep the bureaucracy like that, right? Like somebody breaks a leg on your land, is it even worth going to court regardless of whether or not you're right? Of course, most people would say that guy has no claim, right, if he was writing on your land without permission. But we would never get that far because the legal system is so broken. This is also why I brought it up earlier. When I signed up for T-Mobile at the bottom of the contract, they said, oh, yeah, by the way, you hereby relinquish your right <laughs> to a court, and instead you're going to be working with such and such arbitration agency. I don't yeah. remember what it was that T-Mobile picked. I've got a whole Because they didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, mandatory arbitration it. is it's a whole other thing that I can go on a tear about because I've had that in different employment situations, and that's awful. But um, did you tell me why you don't want to go to New Hampshire? We're almost there. We're almost there. We're so <laughs> close. I can taste it. No, no. so I don't want to go there because I think the value oh. of the land is too high. I oh. think that while the United States is not optimal, well, wait a minute. it's How? preferable to so many other places inside of the world that we have a much better shot of making it work in a different place. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's but, my point. So I think we should go to somewhere like <clears throat> Somalia. Or, so the Free State Project, they didn't like buy all the land in this town or something with some kind of group allocation um, of money because you had to no, have $30,000 or $10,000 or something, to New didn't Hampshire you? Hampshire and buy land and start voting. Oh, I thought you had to have so much money and you had to like go there with X amount of dollars and that was part of the whole deal. But that no. didn't become communal at I, all? You know, I, I could be wrong. Become, I, I won't claim to be an expert on the Free State Project. Uh, with what I've seen about it and when I was looking at it, the agreement was, I mean, you like check a box, it's a really straightforward contract and it says that I agree that basically if this petition reaches the 2,000 or the 2,000, the 20,000 members that it's supposed to reach to move to New Hampshire within five years of that date. Yeah. Uh, and to stay informed about whether or not it reaches that goal. There's some like, well, it's, it's, it's a pretty complicated paragraph. They weren't buying all the land and no. starting over or something. Well, obviously the people who move there buy the land. But yeah, no, they're, they're buying land the in an systems. existing city with an existing infrastructure that while I agree is not preferable with to US what dollars. could be. Yeah. What could yeah. be. Um, it's just the wrong place to do it, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you said I think we should we go somewhere where there's complete chaos right. and destruction <laughs> and try to build the system there because everybody wants to change that. Yeah. I, I, you, you have so much opposition here. You argued look, we have, you have to do it in Somalia, and I argued, well, in rural Somalia, it is chaos. It, or, 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 sorry, that was a... A, I'm not arguing for chaos. Term. No, I yeah, know. No, I no. So, so I would argue. So, so this this comes into why why this the, kind of comes the government into is what's barely the state present of nature in les, yeah. in in, in yeah. rural Somalia. The oh, I'm sorry. Barely I, I thought you were talking about the rural United States. Like, why didn't you no, go no. to another rural part of the United States? I no. apologize. Yeah, no, you're you're agreeing with me indirectly. I'm surprised more anarchists don't agree about this. Uh, yeah, no. So, so my it's already life, anarchic is my um, interpretation of it. Like, um, it yeah, it's possible yeah, government kind of. forces will but roll through it on trucks every once in a while, but yeah. in general, the day-to-day -day life of yeah. people that live out well, there, they don't have any candidate. government interference at all. So you might ask, why is Somalia right? not this utopia I'm describing? Which is a good question. It comes into why I believe... Oh, that is a state. good question. Yeah. Let's pretend that I asked you that. Yeah. Excellent. No, it, this because this ties into why do I think the state is no longer necessary, and, and, and why did the state exist at all? You know what I mean? Like, why does the state exist? Like, here I am talking about how inefficient it is, and it's like, well... Why is it here? Well, one of these days, I'm, yeah. we're going to get to Hitler and how he doesn't roll over everybody. That's the <clears throat> so the 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 cap on the conversation last year was if you don't have a national defense, if you don't have a huge army that protects you, how do how do despots 
uh, who raise armies through fear and intimidation of the public, okay. et cetera, whatever. Yeah. How do they not roll through? And well, you, you told me what it was last year, so. We'll get there. Okay. okay. So let's, yeah, let, let's start with this. So, so why, what changed? Um, the key word is infrastructure. So, um, it, so in the United States, uh, obviously we had a civil war, but slavery was abolished by the state. Although, I would argue that saying the state abolished slavery um, it is kind of silly because ultimately it's individuals within the state who abolished slavery. And I would argue that in the long run it would have been abolished anyway. But actually that's not the case in all parts of the world. Um, in fact, in, in most parts of the world, you see slavery is eliminated as the infrastructure improves because it's really hard to keep slaves on a plantation when they can get on infrastructure and go somewhere else uh, where there's a job, right? As long as not everybody's racist and people can move around, uh, it's really hard to sustain slavery unless you can externalize the costs. But if slavery is legal and right. I can't get my whole family out of there, and they're well anyway. Yeah, no, no, no. Ahead. This is this is the important thing. I mean, so what I would argue is what we had, yeah, regardless yeah. of infrastructure. Oh no, I know. I, I'm not. I'm, oh, I have to be careful. I'm not advocating slavery. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I'm no. explaining. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving an alternative narrative as to why slavery does not exist, and then I'm going to use that to say why I don't think the state needs to exist at all. Yeah. Um, all so, right. so the alternative narrative is um, actually. In the South, especially leading up to the uh, the, um, the Civil War, the cost of owning slaves is being externalized through the state because slavery was legal. So, for example, people who would have otherwise been opposed to slavery, um, or which basically uh, meant not large landowners, because I mean, if you think about it, people get upset when uh, I, I would argue it's not technically correct, but people get upset when big competitors come in and, and they lose jobs, right? I mean, how how much more do you lose jobs than to a slave, right? I, he works for free, or the cost of his, you know what I mean? It's really hard to compete with uh, with slave labor. Uh, so, I mean, unless you were a wealthy landowner, you really didn't like the situation. And you had this sticky situation where even if you didn't agree with it morally, right, or the idea was going around, you could get in a lot of trouble. It was great personal risk for you to be in any way involved in helping captured slaves escape. In fact, in some parts of the South, um, I, I don't know the details of this, but my understanding is that the state would actually require people to go out on slave hunts like like in, in some cities it was like if you were an adult male above a certain age it was a weird kind of draft you would have to go out and help with slave hunts really? sometimes yeah wow. yeah i mean and, and of course jim crow laws right i mean what do we have we, we again have the state sort of sustaining racism uh so while it's true that ultimately the state rectified that particular situation i would argue the major thing that made it possible to get rid of was um the improvement in infrastructure that allowed slaves to start escaping, right, that allowed there to be more jobs available, that allowed people to be concerned about the fact that their jobs are being taken. Um, and then what ultimately really make what makes it the case today that having a shirt like I own slaves or like bring back slavery uh, would not be popular is that we, we've sort of grown as a society to realize uh, that just because you have different colored skin doesn't mean that you're a monkey, that we should apply human rights consistently. Or, or rather, we've expanded our definition of humanity to include slaves. I mean, because, I mean, that was always the argument, uh, at least my understanding. Uh, the, the academic argument was always, look at these uncivilized people from Africa. They haven't built good societies, therefore they must not be on par. They're like dogs, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're an animal, looks like a person, it's not a person, it's like owning cattle. Right, obviously, we know that that's not the case if you look at... Uh, 
I, I don't. I suppose I don't have to make the anti-slavery case, but I will anyway. If you look at like all of human civilization, right? Like it's just in a blink of an eye that we form modern society. It just happened to be that people, yeah. you know what I mean, with lighter colored skin have the the biggest one in this particular geographical region. That doesn't mean that somehow blacks are inferior. If anything, it means that all of mankind is inferior. And there was one guy who happened to have been born, right, to come up with the idea, or a, a very small group of people to to sort of, you know what I mean, put it in place. Like how many geniuses are that are born? Uh, come up with the internet, and yet we all use it. So, so I think about it more like that. It's really not at all remarkable uh, that, that Africa isn't as um, far advanced as the West. Yeah, I, I heard one yeah. argument. I'm trying to remember where it was from, but I thought this was a fascinating argument. He, what he basically said is that by the time you have enough societal backing to um, to pass a law that you want to pass about uh, uh, protection of minorities or whatever it is, by the time you have enough societal backing to pass a law to protect them, it's already too late because you've, yeah, like, you've, you've achieved society has yeah. already gotten to the point where they would pass that law, right? Yeah, no. So the law itself yeah. is actually it's a post ex facto. Yeah, okay. exactly. So like, you, you cannot pass the law until enough people agree that you could pass the law. Almost always, like yeah. uh, some unpopular laws do get introduced yeah. by like. Mm-hmm. presidential action, executive orders or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in general, it's, uh, you, you can't be protectionist or, or sorry, that laws, uh, Well, and understand that, hold on. It just, it's worth like, noting that controversial, right. right. Controversial when we're talking about executive orders is like, my dad yells at me from the other side of the table. Hmm. Right. I mean, it's not like, it's not like we have executive orders that are like, you know what we should do? We should gut children for their organs. Yeah. I mean, there would be, <laughs> That would make a great Yeah, drop. social order. Yeah, social order would completely disintegrate. I can pull that and, two seconds and, out of the yeah, audio. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that'll, like, that'll be in the This ad. is anarchy. <laughs> Hear what the bigot has dumb, to say. Dumb, Racism. Dumb. And, yeah, yeah that's, that's an excellent point. I, I completely... Did I, did I finish making that? I'm not sure that I articulated that, 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 that you, cannot, you cannot pass the law until it's too late because everyone already agrees. And so yeah. the law is, uh, you know, is... Yeah, what you, you the state already factor? exists through yeah. multi- the state already exists through the uh, the consent of the government. And by then, in you don't need sense. it. Yeah, right. right. Okay. And, and this brings up another criticism that. of actually, I suppose, of direct democracy. We could add it. You could prepend it to the list, but it's uh, it's this idea, and we we hear the word so often that we all we forget what it means, which is actually the definition of cliche. It's a cliche word. Um, minority. Uh, it, we're, we're so conditioned to believe in the West that, like, well, if the majority of people want to do it, I mean, it's got to be the right answer. And yet, how how much do we know that that's not really the case? Yeah. Right. I mean, especially when we start thinking about, you know, like white privilege, cisgender privilege, heterosexual privilege. We start thinking about all these things. And and we know that part of what privilege is, is that you don't realize that you have it. It doesn't even have to be that the majority is malevolent. It's just that being part of a minority group, by definition, makes it difficult for other people. People, you know what I mean, to relate to you. Yeah. And so I, I always joke, democracide is the idea that in principle you have mob rule and that in practice you actually just have the rich elite controlling everyone. That's my opinion of democracy, which yeah. is why – now, that, I, that's, that's preferable. I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't decay to that state uh, except for, uh, I would argue, in, in its later stages. And um, it, it's, it's not as bad as like North Korea. Uh, but I, I – I do think there's a fundamental structural flaw to that idea of majority rule. Oh yeah, yeah. The the tyranny of the majority has forever been. I mean, our founding fathers. Yeah. 
we're very worried about, hey, just because 51% sure. of people think something doesn't mean that they're right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, should we legalize rape? Uh, I don't know. The majority of men. I mean, you know, we talk about the redistribution of wealth. What about the redistribution of vaginas? I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, another good soundbite. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, my point is, is just that, uh, uh, you know, and this is, this is another really good point. We were talking about, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, social consensus is an important part of the ability for a law to be impa- to be passed and reasonably enforced, right? So the law is kind of a post ex facto, um, you know, legitimization of what the social consensus is. How do you control the social consensus um, through the through the schools? I, I'm always I'm always cracked up when uh, when somebody goes like oh, those Koch brothers. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm I'm upset about corporate interests too. But I mean, when when you look at what the Koch brothers are doing, right? You have you have uh, people, at least on the surface level, with other consenting adults providing educational materials that are, of course, slanted. I completely agree. It's like, thank you for recognizing that he who pays the piper calls the tune. Now, let's talk about state-funded education, Uh right? How can you look at this and be like, that, tyranny, and then you go to state-funded education? Well, now, hold on. we got to look at it in the context here. So in in anarcho-capitalism, there would be no... So how does education work? There would just be competing education, private schools. Um, but if I'm poor and I can't afford yeah. it, then, uh, th- this falls into, I mean, yeah, there's just, there's 2000 things with anarcho-capitalism, but this falls into sort of the category of problem. Like the same thing would happen with defense, right? Like what if you can't afford to have your property insured? Does this mean that, um, yeah, yeah you die? You, and, you're and relying so, on private charity for the people who can't, yeah. who can't um, earn for themselves? Kind of, kind of. There's two components to that. Um, the short answer is yes, but let me expand on it because when you just say private charity and leave it at that, it, it sounds like a really bad answer. Um, the first thing that's important to note is that uh, we we have incredible... Okay, where do I start here? So the fact that people are in general concerned about whether or not the poor will be educated is good evidence that there will be private charitable provision uh, for, for those people, right? Like if we're talking about the aspect of the state that is um, social safety net... I, I agree. I think we should have that. I don't think it should be monopolized and centrally coercive. I think there should be competing agencies doing it. And private charities fulfill that role. I, I happen to know that if you look at the money set aside for social programs in the United States, approximately 43% of it actually makes it into the hands of the beneficiaries of that, of that um, program. The rest is lost to, to bureaucracy and, um, you know what I mean, the, the organization of it. And every, every charity is going to have that. But like if you look at the Hope Center for Kids, right, they have 93% efficiency with their dollars. And they have to. Because if people are giving because they want to give, and again, people do, people are actually concerned about whether or not children are being educated, uh, you have competition of charities. Uh, again, this is another one of those things where we're applying the market lens consistently. Um, I actually consider uh, charity to be to be a form of a transaction wherein one exchanges something, esteem, right? Their goal is benevolence. Just like, so they're actually profiting from that transaction by uh, trading esteem for money, right? You can almost think of the, the poor person as being a vendor. It, it's, it's a weird way to frame it, but the same principles still apply. There's actually competition among charitable organizations to be the most efficient. And there's competition to be transparent about where money is going so that, um, you know what I mean? People know what's going on. People are concerned. Is my money actually being used for this? Not to say they aren't concerned with the government, but when you mix in government stuff with 
arbitration and blah, blah, blah. when you're mixing it into one giant institution, nobody knows what's going on. You could be concerned about one part, but it takes a lot to be concerned about a you know what I mean a candidate's whole thing. I think that private charity is actually the more efficient solution. Yeah. So uh, so I come at this from a libertarian or sorry not a libertarian a utilitarian bent. So okay. in in my yeah. mind it, it's utilitarianism is the way that we should all live, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, okay. And if yeah, sure. if you have enough people that are uh, donating through private charity that uh, poor kids can still go to school and that uh, people who can't work because they have you know physical or mental ailments or whatever uh, have food and they have shelter and they have whatever, then whatever your system is that gets you to that state, then I'm happy from a utilitarian perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a, a liberal maybe, what, I'm not sure what term... Uh, I should be using there, but um, you know, one system yeah, of government is, yeah. hey, we're we have a national government and everybody pays taxes, and if you make a lot more money, you make uh, you 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 have there's a progressive income tax, and you're all forced to pay income tax, and that's way every single person is guaranteed to have uh, basic food, basic shelter, uh, basic you know housing, clothing, you know these basic things. So no matter what, as a society, we never leave anyone behind, and yeah, yeah. from the fundamentals, whether a uh, whether a libertarian uh, governmental system, an anarchic government system, a Republican, Democrat, whatever, I don't, from for my right, perspective. You just don't want people to be starving in the yeah. streets. And, yeah. and if it's more efficient for private charity to all compete uh, uh, to uh, make all these things happen and, and the end result is that they do happen, then I'm happy, right? To the extent that, so I, I've got whole tears I can go on about, uh, uh, Inequality in uh, income, I guess not even income, just the. Oh boy. <laughs> so I'm not sure what this is. This a whole other I show? To to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I, I, I completely, um, I, I appreciate, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this. This is one of those mitigation things that people say. I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> but I'm. So here's no, my, yeah. my concern when it comes to uh, at least the libertarians that I've talked to. My concern there is that. They, they say, hey, private charity is more efficient and the rich people are very generous, et cetera. That does not uh, be rich people. I well, mean, whoever. To, remember, remember, income taxes, I mean, uh, obviously there's other stuff inside of income taxes. But even if you just consider social spending as a portion of income taxes, that's still a considerable amount, right? So, I mean, it, it's not as though we're saying that, you know what I mean, like why isn't there charity in the current system? Well, people have the false sense of security that the state is taking care of it, which ironically contributes to the erosion because it's not being held accountable. Why is it not here in the current system? People have less money than they would have. Probably not as big of a factor as the first one, but still a factor. I, I just want to point that out. But sorry, yeah. go ahead with your no, criticism. No, I'm sorry. You, you started yeah. this whole thing with saying that you're an ethical nihilist. So, I, yeah. you know, I'm, uh, so I don't, I don't think, so for me, the end result matters. For me, the maximizing the total happiness, happiness, you know, all these Whatever things are so happiness. soft. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, well, but this is this is why I'm an ethical nihilist. I think that when somebody makes a claim like that, yeah. it's just a way of not actually making a claim. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want to know, okay, well, what do you mean by utilitarianism? Why do you think that is valid? What's so good about your interpretation of the maximum utility? Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is why I'm an ethical nihilist. I see it as like when the religious, I don't know. It just, it, it reeks of the same kind. I don't know if you're a religious person. So this is, I, I could be picking a fight with the wrong person. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not a religious person. It, yeah. it, it, and I think we've evolved as a species into this, sure. um, the, the people yeah. who can get along best with other people are the people who are still around for the most part. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, people are eliminated from the gene pool when they are you have murdering tendencies. Like if you can't get along with people in general, people don't. Those people generally don't breed. Or hopefully we've at least evolved (laughs) a mechanism to to be able to detect and exclude those people somewhat effectively. Our murderer labeling skills are hopefully pretty good. Yeah, hopefully the murderers are in jail and they're not reproducing, you know, to the extent that it's genetic versus, you know, whatever. Without getting into the whole nature versus nurture examination of murderers, which I have no information about. So, (laughs) but no, and the, uh, so I I think, let, let me, let me hit before, we, uh, my brain is totally dead. Before my brain is totally dead. Yes, Help me understand. Yeah. Because this is important. So, so World War II, theoretically, mm-hmm. was the, the result of World War One. <laughs> I mean, before <laughs> you even go too far. It was the good war. Yeah. It was, it was ethically, well, so an ethical nihilist wouldn't say anything about this, I guess. But, I, I agree. Well, but, I agree that most people hey, thought that that we was We were the attacked. Idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the, the vast majority, especially of Americans, <laughs> believe <laughs> that we were attacked and, uh, and we were. And therefore, uh, we have a national defense system because we have a representative republic. And so we have national defense. We spend a lot of money on, on defense and we've got a huge army and air force and all these armed forces. And so we are able to defeat a, uh, uh, actors with bad intentions who want to, Hey, I've got the biggest pile of guns over here. So I'm going to go take everything that everyone else has. Right. If in an anarchic situation where you don't have a national defense, right. Walk me through how it is that the guy with the biggest pile of guns doesn't just stomp all over the entire globe and take over everything. And now we're all living under the dictatorship that we never wanted in the first place. How does yeah. that not happen? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why I like to do this, but can I just rephrase your argument slightly? If I straw man you, let me know. No, go ahead. Um, but, but it seems to be the, the argument of like, okay, I agree that we have a, uh, we have a centrally coercive institution, uh, that is monopolizing at least this geographical region. However, that's in fact preferable when compared to the other people who may be monopolizing the region if it did not exist. Right. So it's sort of the idea that yes, the state does some good things. It does some bad things, but overall it's better that it exists because in the absence of it, someone else might monopolize violence over the area in a less preferable way. Wait, but I thought, no, wait, hold on. But what you told me last year was that it actually wouldn't work like that because it's not possible to I, take I, I over. Haven't, I haven't started arguing yet. I'm, refer- oh, I'm, just, right. I'm just paraphrasing your okay. question just well, to make sure. Did you agree that that's then? a good paraphrasation? I'm sorry. Paraphrasation. I was, no. <laughs> paraphrasation. No. That was Para- the best paraphrasation I've heard all night. <laughs> paraphrasation. No. Okay. Okay. Do it again. Do it again. Do it one okay. more time. Sorry. So that um, it is preferable that the state exists because in the absence of the state's monopoly over the use of force in the geographical region, there could exist some other institution that would do it in a less preferable way. Yeah, if I don't have a national defense defending right. me, right. then someone right. else so, is going to so, roll so in. So I concede that that I, I so I just I want to help you understand why I'm I'm slightly critical of this question from the very beginning. I, I want to try to shoehorn it into this like this like we we have this institution that commits um, you know what I mean that threatens violence to to ensure that there is no threat of violence. Threatens violence not against me. I mean the. My, it, my, it does. It does indirectly. That's part of how it maintains control. If the state didn't threaten violence against you specifically as a subset of threatening all people, then it threatens violence against you in the same way that it threatens violence against Hitler. If you go against the state's proposed system, um, you will be dealt with. That's how it's able to ensure security. It's just that you prefer this current system, uh, the current set of rules that it enforces over what could be the case if somebody else came in and started enforcing their set. Right. Like, if I prefer democracy... Sure. Over 
whatever the hell North Germany Korea was. is doing. Yeah, oh, whatever okay. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Whatever yeah. No, there's definitely less preferable <laughs> which, systems. Which I do. Yeah. Because I do think that yeah. the fact that we are uh, generally apathetic and and ignorant in our electoral process would be quickly ra- uh, fixed in an extreme case where a, a, a leader did something just anathema to everyone's moral conscience. I, 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 I tend to believe that the whole system is so far in bed. Well, I, I think that I, it's all so centrally controlled that that's, I don't know. I think the, the people that we successfully right. elect into those offices, I mean, the reason that, that people spend four years campaigning for every office, right, <laughs> is that they're learning to say the things that keep people happy because they, they have to make everybody happy to get the maximum votes. And so they are trained by the, the process of getting elected to not do anything outrageous. Because And so by the time they get into office, they're not going to do anything outrageous. But I think if they did, they, they'd get removed. I can't think of a single example of that, though. I don't know, Nixon maybe? Well, Bill Clinton. I'm just kidding. Well, he didn't. <laughs> I, know, I, know. <laughs> I mean, Nixon resigned under pressure because yeah, I, I suppose mean, he would have been. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll deal with Monica. Seriously. You want to talk about a major governmental problem. Yeah, <laughs> there's been so many. Oh, Isn't it boy. amazing the things that, like, I don't know. Anyway. I don't so, know how politicians survive. So many things they do survive. I just don't understand how they're still in office. Uh, look, I um, I so anyway, tend so to be really pessimistic of this whole regulatory capture. It's actually, I, I, don't, I hesitate to say the rich and the elite because it's so Marxist. But it's like this this idea that, like, there are people who, because they have more capital, are able to influence the nature of the state and are able to influence the state. And the reason they're able to do that is that it, it's fundamentally not being or it is being competed with, I suppose, because there's different countries in the world. But it's not being competed uh, at the level um, that I believe it would be now under modern technology, which would prevent them from doing that. Sorry, this I'm really bad at making great arguments, in case you can't tell, because I, I have to put in like all the footnotes. I'm like, well, what is the claim I'm making exactly? And we're six footnotes in. I think my thing is simpler than that. I think if we disbanded the national government tomorrow, then North Korea has a standing army and some fuel, I mean, or whatever, yeah. and they could roll in yes. to California. And take it. In four days. Right, and take yeah. it. And that, that would be bad. That would and be so, very bad. It would be worse than the United States. So not having government yeah. would be bad. Yeah. So what stops? Uh, yeah. What stops so that? Can we? Um, so I, I feel like we could have another podcast about this. If we if we, if we did, I would want to bring in. A, <laughs> well, you my gave friend. me the short version. No, no, no. I, no, I'll give you the short. I'll give you the short answer to it. But I, I want yeah. to separate concerns here. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring in. A, I have a, a friend whose name is Paul. He's actually an economic major, and um, I do take credit for having converted him to anarcho-capitalism. But um, my <laughs> nice. God, having somebody with a major in economics and he has a minor in history on your side when you're talking about these things is like he's just like, oh yeah. Well, what about the robber barons? Here's three companies, and here's what consumer prices were doing during that time see this monopoly thing is not that big of a deal because of this and it's just uh i i'm, I'm a little bit more out there yeah. so i obviously uh so so <laughs> it's just it's just I mean, you know, differences in people so he's he uh if we're going to talk about like how do we transition from the current system and prevent north korea from taking over I do not know. No, how the, the, but but given an anarchic situation, if I can answer the question, like given how does my the guy ideal with the biggest pile of guns yeah. not take over? Everybody? Yeah, given my my ideal situation, what stops like right. somebody from taking over? Okay, right. so oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to answer the second question. Just wanted to clarify. Okay. So my answer to the second question is, um, 
the market. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But seriously, it really is. It really is the market. It's it's not specific. This is the funny thing. It's not specific to defense. It's just we have to think about things in a different way than we're usually used to thinking about them. Uh, so. The, the the basic answer is um, the, the same thing that makes monopolistic competition really difficult when you get up to big levels. So suppose that you're a guy who um, – let, let's start with this. So suppose that you're just a guy who decides that he wants to take over the world. Or maybe – it doesn't have to be the world. Well, that's no, that's a straw man. Just, just a, a region. Just if a you're a warlord region. in Somalia, you run around Somalia doing whatever the hell you want. Right? Right. Because yeah. there's no government to yeah. stop him. There's no government. You gotta give me my thought experiment. I can right. only, Sorry. <laughs> I can only answer. There's questions dudes with guns in Somalia running around, I know. man. I know. Okay, so so let's start with. Uh, well, I know, but I want to break it down. So let's start with the easy ones and work our way up to the hard <laughs> ones, which will eventually be somewhat analogous to dudes in Somalia. And okay. we'll make the beat drop. Yeah. Okay. Break so, it down. so 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 easier drop. case. We got to start with the tiny ones. Here we go. Uh, so you have a guy who just decides <laughs> that he wants to take over a region. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be the yeah, whole yeah. world. He just is like, like me. What's I stopping am, me? Yeah, yeah. You're like I will be the. I will dominate West Omaha. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, and in fact, there's other people who are who are all similarly inclined. You're like, hey, I'll tell you what. If you help me dominate yeah. West Omaha, I'm gonna give you, you yeah. know, some cash. Boom. Organized yeah. crime. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Boom. The mafia. The mafia. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So, uh, okay. So here's what makes that. At least very difficult. Okay. Uh, so, uh, thing number one. The IRS. You have to get the money to buy the guns somewhere, assuming you already have them. We're starting soon. Yeah, I'm So let's assume booze. you don't have the guns. What's up? I'm selling booze, right? I'm running booze around Chicago. That's how the mafia got, got yeah. took off. Right. So that would be an interesting way you could point out where the state actually helped the mafia. I did not know. No, that. I Thanks know. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, Thanks no. for letting me know. Well, so I'm also for legalizing all drugs. So, so, so let me let me let me frame it like this. In, in my in my, uh, my my general belief, and we kind of talked about this, is that in an anarchic state, you would have uh, laws that are primarily libertarian leaning because those are the most market efficient laws to enforce. Okay. So, building on that concept, victimless crimes like alcohol prohibition. Uh, your marijuana prohibition or any, any of those things you don't really expect to uh, exist. exist at all. Right. Yeah. So yep. you are selling product X and using your profits to buy gun. Competitor guns. Competitor uh, B is selling product X and investing all of his pro- – either lowering his prices or investing back in his company and expanding his production. And choking oh. you out of the market. Yeah. You're always going to be running at a deficit relative to other forces in the market. And that deficit is only to get larger as the scope of your operation right. increases. But it's not a free market if I roll in with my tanks and take over well, that we're, market. We're starting with the simple case. I'm assuming oh, you don't have the guns yet. <laughs> oh, I don't have the guns yet? <laughs> Remember, we started with you decide that you want to take over. Right. And you don't have the guns yet. Oh, yeah, You got it. Yeah, yeah. You got it. You got to, like, I, I know, I'm, I'm a loser, but I have to go through, like, because otherwise you're addressing too many things at once. So no, you yeah, got to yeah. start, like, so. So we're assuming you don't have the guns yet. So if you don't have the guns, the process right. by which you get the resources right. to get the guns is inefficient. Yeah, it's inefficient. It's and a as huge a result, resource. Yeah, it, it's burden. not just like like slightly inefficient yeah. or like imperfect <laughs> information in the market or geographical. What if I don't need guns, what if I'm just the biggest guy? If I'm just the biggest guy, yeah, I can just run around and dominate people, right? Uh, th- this is this actually goes all the way back to. Uh, um, you don't need guns because the violence in and of itself is inherently expensive. So to specifically address the biggest guy example, even if you're the biggest guy right now, there could be another bigger guy in the future, right, to take you down. And so you want to be in generally good standing with people because you don't live forever in good strength, huh. right? 
Uh, thing number two is even if you're the biggest guy, chances are second biggest guy and third biggest guy who both have a rational self-interest to not have you dominated could team up. Yeah. And, and this is the point. It, it turns out that the Nash equilibrium, what works best for everyone, is that we aren't aggressing. Because you watch the kids all go hunt the meat. It's just the way it works out. Now, we're guided by this like pseudo-moral principle. I don't deny moral intuitionism. But my point is, is that actually there's no reason that this is true other than it just works in biology. And thank God, because it's the only thing that makes society possible at all. Same so, thing. So we, need, we need local yeah. regional enforcement, right? Because I don't want to get my gas station robbed. But we don't need a national defense. Well, this is, is this is the... this is going to come down to what's um, okay. So there's so this is going to yeah okay. So let's so do you, do you kind of accept yeah, yeah. the beginning no, of okay, so no defense? Okay, so let, let's 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 up the stakes here. Yeah, you already have the guns, yeah. which which considerably reduces your cost of um, of dominating a region. Again, yeah. I'm leaving it of indeterminate size because the larger it gets, the higher your cost goes. I'm sure you understand that relationship. Yeah. Um, I think so. Actually, you could you could argue that the, the larger the region gets, your cost grows uh, proportional to the square of it, because it's one's a one's a uh, one's a um, wow, a linear unit, and the other one's a unit of area. But aren't I also but, seizing all those assets? Like as I expand my territory, aren't I seizing and controlling all those things? Yeah, but as you control, yeah. Okay, so hold on. So let's go with this. So <laughs> one of the things uh, that that is a negative side effect of the state, uh, and it's it's funny because you kind of brought it up, but you sold it as a positive thing. I tend to believe it's a generally negative thing, is that the uh, the monopoly of uh, the infrastructure that the state does build um, means uh, well, it means two things. So first of all. Because there's an existing state apparatus, it's very profitable to invade the region because there's already an existing system by which you can collect taxes, right? Like, you know where the infrastructure is. You can close the roads. You can block them off. It's already completely clear how everything works. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever read the, the essay, I Pencil. It, it, it tries to, um, in, in the way that a layman can understand, describe the gravity that is the calculation problem that I keep referencing. I, I suppose I could explain it. But the argument that I would make is when you have markets figuring out infrastructure, um, one negative side effect is that you get the Internet. <laughs> which, um, while it wor- which, which, while it works fantastically, if you've ever heard somebody talk about, like, I worked at this backbone operator and you would not believe what was going on here, and, like, you see pictures of, like, wires all over the place, that's what the market builds for infrastructure. Now, as it turns out, the negative trade-off of needing a GPS, I think, is totally worth it in the long run, but that, that is... Uh, it's one of those trade-offs. I actually think it's better to have the more complex, competing, wishy-washy, zigzag infrastructure, not really knowing what the population is, not really, you know what I mean, understanding who has what, because there's a lot of uncertainty. It's not easy to dominate because you don't know. Somebody could be armed. You aren't sure what road you need to block off. The people who live there have a much better understanding of what's going on. There's no clear apparatus by which you can profit right away. Yeah. So it raises the cost a lot. And the locals are probably fighting back, right? So you've got yeah. to, We're assuming they don't want to be dominated. If they yeah. want it, then it's just leadership. You're right. right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so you just define your terms yeah. correctly. Yeah. And yeah. See, you, just, <laughs> yeah. you see how argumenting works? Yeah, no, and that's, <laughs> yeah, and that, that's where we got last year. That's, that's, and that's just, that's just fascinating to me. Just fascinating. Um, 
And I, God, I'm trying to collect my, my thoughts here because there's there's another one too, but I'm, I'm actually drawing a blank. There's another big argument that's put forward against this. It has to do with the even. It still has to do with the allocation of weapons, but I can't remember exactly how it goes. Against the Hitler rolling across. Yeah, the, yeah, the whole it does. World. It does. Damn it, because this is the important one too. Oh. So so well, <laughs> suffice it to say, the cost is much much higher. We can edit it that, in later. That's at least that's at least part of it. So at least part of the problem is is that even if you already have the guns, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll just leave it at that since I can't remember the other argument. I'm sure that in the course of our conversation with the way it's been going, I'll blurt it out later. <laughs> uh, so hopefully that kind of introduces you to it. Um, How long have we been going? Oh, Lord knows. What time did you get here? I don't know. It's 9.12 now. Oh, hold on, you can see how long. Oh, wow. No, you can't. Oh, wait, hold on. If I do this window thing. Uh, fit. Fit in window. I think it's... Hour, two hour. <laughs> two so, so you don't know. I tried to do a presentation outlining why I'm an anarcho-capitalist or bar camp, which you know, you're, like 20 minutes is your max, and I got cut off at work after talking for a little over two hours, and they were like, okay, you're not even gonna, because I, because it's really hard. I mean, you get into questions like pollution, and it's like, okay, well, how is that preferable to this? And um, wow. can I, can even, I just even Joe Rogan's podcast? Are not I, two I hours forty five minutes. I love Joe Rogan. I'm glad you listened to him. Um, okay, so let me. Uh, <laughs> Let me try to bring I think this. This is our ten seconds of silence right there. Yeah. Can I can I give you kind of my my yeah, uh, my meta argument my meta argument to yeah. try to answer all of these questions? Yeah. It's admittedly a cop out, but um, I well I'll explain why I think it's not as bad of an argument as it's going to sound like. Okay. So there's there's this there's this famous <laughs> like uh, I, I don't know. It's really annoying as an anarchist because uh, and not annoying. It's just uh, you, you just kind of. I don't know if you've noticed it, but but my, my main mantra throughout this conversation has been, no, we just take the same principles and apply them consistently. We take the same principles and apply them consistently. I, I feel like when I run across people who generally advocate for the state, it seems as though they have this misconception that somehow the market operates differently than the state. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's best summed up in sort of the famous phrase, I actually don't know who said it, that it's like, uh, if all men were angels, we wouldn't need a government. And it's as if it was completely overlooked that men run the government. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, it's like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course, the government can be bought and sold. Uh, so, so the general, the the, the super meta argument for anarcho-capitalism, uh, you know, from which I try to derive these specific cases, all I'm doing is going, could competition potentially do this better? Like, is there a Nash equilibrium for that competition to exist? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I think um, the the reason that there tends to be that is sort of the, the mantra that like there's no idea so good you have to accept it at gunpoint, and that is it's it's not a coincidence that this nonviolence and market thing goes together. Uh, it, it has to do with the idea that if somebody has to force you to do something, it's probably not that great of an idea for you. Yeah. Uh, so so actually uh, a working definition of market failure, which is just uh, markets work except for when they fail, <laughs> they, they they fail. Um, when the hypothesis of the uh, the price theorem isn't met, and um, the the most common way in which the hypothesis isn't met is when the rational self-interest of individuals does not equal the rational self-interest of the group. So an example would be like uh, like like traffic. So like each person inside of traffic wants to go uh, wants to get to his destination as quickly as possible, and so he follows as closely as possible. However, in following closely, traffic is created because uh, my understanding of basic traffic theory is that when cars follow closely, they break and the brakes get amplified because response times are slightly slower, and so it gets amplified and blah 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 blah. And so a big cost, so so it actually exacerbates traffic, which nobody wants. 
so everybody's getting to their destination more slowly because everybody wants to get to their destination more quickly. That's called market failure. Um, and, and, and so the, the, the market failure absolutely happens. I, I don't dispute that. My, my point is, is that applying a violence to the situation uh, seems really tempting when you consider that the violence is being done by some benevolent entity, right? But I, I have yet to see that benevolent entity. I, I, you know what I mean? It's like, where is the God, <laughs> right? Where is the benevolent God? Where is the benevolent government? I, I, as um, Thankfully, a lot of market failure can be mitigated in indirect ways. And, and we didn't really talk a lot about market failure. But um, a lot of it, I, I believe, can be mitigated in kind of indirect ways um, in that overall, Having a state step in in times of market failure isn't worth all the baggage that the state brings along in these other areas we've been talking about. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just the case. The, the case is, is that overall the community is maximized in the individual self-interest of the actors. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I, I see it, and I, I think this is the same thing. You can correct me when I screw it up. But I, you know, I've been working for 20 years and for, for organizations of all kinds of different sizes and. The government is just one humongous organization, and I, sure. you know, there are all kinds of inefficiencies when it comes to uh, structures for things at scale, right? So when you try to scale things, uh, you do your best, and you try to make sure that they're as efficient as possible. And but when things get big, they get very, very, very complicated, and sure. there's less and less efficiency in. The, the bits well, there's a fine point. There's there's inefficiency that comes from scale, and there's economy <laughs> of scale, and there's like a, there's a market equilibrium where ideally you have a natural monopoly, and that is the market point at which the you know what I mean the, the cost of scaling uh, is no longer offset by the economy of scale. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about it in terms of like organizational yeah. structure. So when you talk right. about like the it's also the, a market system. The structure of yeah the structure of, of personnel, just human beings, just employees, whether those are government employees or private employees or whatever. And what I love about the, the free market being that when, uh, you know, you try your best and then somebody eats your lunch because they're just way better at it than you, then boom, you fail. And we should right. let them fail. And oh, that's absolutely. great. Absolutely. Market and correction. Yeah. Let them, <laughs> let yeah. them get in there. We didn't even and get into that. To yeah. the extent that any organization, including the government, doesn't allow that to happen when, when the, you know, everybody picks on the DMV. I think we have a great DMV, but anyway, like say the DMV was awful. There's a, there's like, a great joke on Rational Wiki that says, uh, it's like points for arguing with libertarians. And one of them is like the DMV proof that the government can't do anything right anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't <laughs> I, have a problem. I, I, I completely <laughs> like, agree. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's I a think satirical, it works great here. <laughs> yeah, it's a satirical <laughs> argument. So I don't yeah. know where the horrible DMV is. Well, are, but, but the, anyway. the question comes from, you don't know what the optimal configuration for the DMV is. If right. you did, let's put you in charge of it. So that's, I, that's the problem. Putting it, you know, yeah. let's assume that the DMV was the worst thing ever, which it's not in my experience. But anyway, if it was, the fact that you can't innovate because the government has it locked into a certain system and there's such a high barrier of entry, that's the problem, right? So, like, if you can just open up a DMV next to that, right, and still have whatever safety or, you know, whatever the regulations are. So, yeah, I'm all for a free market, and I, I wish there was more room for uh, dynacism, dyna, dynacism. I, I wish I government could be. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I'll make up words. We've been going for three hours. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're listening at this point, like, <laughs> nobody's God, listening to nobody, this. Nobody cares. Yeah, it's you, politics. Go ahead and tweet us if you actually yeah. hit here. <laughs> There's no way you're actually still listening. Um, oh, man. Yeah, no, but that, that I think is the critical bit. Yeah. You know, and so you, you, you look at organizations like Open Nebraska that I don't know if you, but it's just about government. Uh, being able to see what they're doing with the tax dollars that are, you know, non-optional. And I would, I would love to see more, um, 
yeah, more uh, capacity for movement. Yeah. But um, I, I completely, uh, I, I agree with you. That's a step in the right direction. But I would ask the question: How did it get to this point? And I would go back to, for the same reason that it arrived at this point, the <laughs> rational, the rational self-interest of the voter is not to research that information, right. no matter how available you make it. And it's an unfortunate uh, structural. Yeah, but that's going to exist in an anarchic system where you have all these organizations that do mediation and enforcement, right? You're still going to have people that don't want to spend the next four hours trying to research which which is the best enforcement, right? Don't you still have that same problem? Yeah, the the difference is, though, that um, so so right now because the government does – so many things because it's such one mono, like large monolithic organization. Yeah. You pay your taxes and you're like, and services happen, yeah. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like, but uh, by by, uh, by separating those concerns, it's like, okay, this is what I'm paying for defense, and this is what I'm getting. Uh, I, I I'm not saying it's going to solve all of the problems. Yeah. I'm just saying it's it's lining up the market incentives a little bit more. It's like when you I don't know, like like grandma looks at the shampoo and she's like, do I want lavender scented? Or I mean, do I, I want extra scalp care. I assume what um, would happen is immediately everybody would just. Just start accepting their neighborhood, whatever, as the defaults, and boom, you're you're, you know. So at a local, I, you know, I don't, I don't think so because. But of, if you can press because back, of what you just because you about. can choose, you can yeah. choose any given. So if I'm mad specifically at my trash service, well, my trash is already private. But uh, what? <laughs> well, pretend it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're uh... electrical cable, but those are monopolies based on infrastructure. Uh, so no, yeah. but they don't. They don't have to. Uh, be. Um, okay. Well. Okay. For, <laughs> for the podcast, before we hit our six-hour mark, um, do you? Uh, I actually, I you're, you're say, a coder. I want to say one more thing. I'm yeah, yeah. Sorry, can no, I no, you're fine. We we want to get all the show notes, whatever show notes you want in there. Yeah. And whatever you want to advertise or whatever you're. I sure. listen to a lot of podcasts where they're stand-up comedians, so they give up all their dates that they'll be speaking. So you should plug all of your upcoming <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anarchist <laughs> meetups. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll, I'll put in a link to Ancap Omaha. I'll probably also link some of uh, my uh, just my my source material. Since yeah. most of what I said is like intro ideas, like intro one one kind of stuff that people want to read yeah. more. That'd be great. I, I suppose I'll say it: stuff. the machinery of freedom, David Friedman. Oh my God! Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you want something that'll go from like uh, zero to I, I think I think this is this is very 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 reasonable. I, I mean, it's the book to do it. Um, it. It's funny because it was written in like in like I want to say like like the late '80s, and it hasn't really been revised since then, so it's old. Really? Like so they're they're talking about like they have stuff in there about Ma Bell. Like like that's their example of monopoly. They're like, look at the telephone system. <laughs> is anarchism like, like is is this a recent? The type of anarchism uh, that I'm advocating for is very recent. Like, yeah. term coins by Murray Rothbard, um, I, I want to say in the 80s. Yeah, it was the early 80s. No kidding. Worst. Yeah. So there's no Greek philosopher is, saying, hey, that you don't need the whatever. There's, there's anarchism in the – what I'm talking – we didn't really get to, to go into this, but it's only because we're, <laughs> how did we're we so <laughs> – I know. We're so accustomed to the, the assertions about how property should work in a capitalistic society that this seems so intuitive. Um yeah, and it's a oh my god. There's a narco communist. If they, they nobody got this far anyway, but let alone a narco communist. But if they were listening to me talk, they'd be pulling out their hair because they'd be going. But don't you understand that the state is capitalism? That the ownership of property in and of itself is exactly the kind of thing. Like they would argue they're the same thing, but they're all connected, and that I'm making false distinctions. And um, uh, they would argue that that there's no. I, I already gave the example. Like there's no difference between the you know what I mean the 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 fact that we make trades. 
is evidence of hierarchy and the fact that one of us could dominate the other because don't we doesn't that mean we both have something that we want and that the only way to really fix this is with a gift economy yeah which we could we could do a whole podcast on that i think it's on a gift economy on a gift economy oh. well no we couldn't i don't think it works oh. probably the wrong it'd be more interesting <laughs> to do a podcast with somebody who thinks it could actually work i just listen to it and it's like it's like don't you know that if you provide for everybody everybody strives to like for fulfillment and so as a result they'll contribute back to the community and it's like okay but like nobody wants to be the toilet scrubber oh well we'll automate those things and it's like okay well oh, yeah. <laughs> until we do I, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with the Zeitgeist movement. It's probably the most uh, anar- most popular anarcho-communist movement. And their their cases that basically like we'll automate away. We already have the technology to automate away all of the jobs. It's just that the big companies don't want you to know about it because capitalism needs its own demand. They sort of draw on Keynesian economics. They're like actually consumerism is a demand in and of itself. And um, <laughs> I'm not doing it justice. I'm strawmanning so hardcore right now to summarize it. It's, 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 I mean, it's, it's a reasonable point. It's not like there's idiots who believe in this. They have reasonable points. I disagree with them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, but actually, so tonight, oh, yeah. oh sorry. sorry. So tonight we fixed government. Yeah. And then we're going to fix the gun problem, right? And Eventually. then we're going to fix religion. We, we should get somebody else who's in a narco capitalist in here too, because I think you'd be surprised how, how, uh, so I'm a I'm a right libertarian, um, anarcho-capitalist. There's actually a left libertarian, anarcho-capitalist. That's what Paul is. So uh, it's interesting. I, I tend to approach everything more from the side of like, I don't know. I don't even want to say economic efficiency, but I uh, I don't know. He approaches it from this this bleeding heart side, which is it's just an interesting kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, rhetoric. Uh, well, he's not to hear. big government liberal. That's usually where I hear the bleeding hearts argument from. Is yeah, he makes the case that, like, actually, if you want to help the poor, the best thing you could do would be to get rid of the state. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I've I never don't, heard uh, anyone give that. Yeah, no, no. He goes. Usually those are socialists. I, yeah, I no, think. no. It's, it's, it's really, it's just a, it's a really good argument. I am. Uh, and it's, it's very economically rooted. I could, I could try to give parts of it, but yeah, I, no, I feel like I wouldn't do it justice because stop. it's just over my head. Um, Anything else? Yeah, I just I just want to point out I just want to point out no idea is so good you have to accept it at gunpoint. You mentioned uh, competition inside of government. I think one of the uh, the unfortunate things is that we'll never know, right? Um, you know, we'll never know if the economic crisis would have been. Uh, you know, you could say like, oh, Obama did the wrong thing in this area, but we don't know what McCain would have done because of the 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 level the, the monolith that is the state, especially at the federal level. Um, and so one of the other advantages that anarcho-capitalism has, at least a priori, is um, for, for the reason you described, the inefficiencies associated with scale that I outlined earlier, you expect there to be a little bit more diversity and changes. And as a result, uh, you know, I mean, you can look empirically at defense agency A in this region responds to um, burglaries in this time, somewhat empirically. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like when you when you start breaking down the monolith that is the state from just do you support this candidate to like do you support this very specific thing in this very specific region for which there's three competitors that you can compare? Uh, I think you have a general recipe for a better system, and that's all I'm advocating for. Not a perfect system, just a better one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been fascinating. Me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Our first episode. Season zero, episode zero. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I could be the guinea pig. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye.